everyone, welcome to or welcome back to the Fun Filtered Podcast. I'm Sam and I am joined as damnably ever by Jordan. You've ruined it now. <laughs> Why? Because what was it? In- interminably? Interminably. Infinitely. Yeah. And now you've thrown like a, a damn. D- damn. You've thrown a D in Because there. I can't restrict myself this early on. But I had, I, had, I had a thing. I was going to be like, indeed, Sam. I was going to be like, oh, yeah. Oh, well, yeah, I'm sorry to have compromised your gimmick. Yes, you have. <laughs> See, mine is a gimmick And you did well. it at exactly the right time, which makes me think you weren't, you were planning this all along. Planning to throw you off. Yeah. You yeah. throw me off any potential gimmicks I might have. Well, how long? Because I just had to look up the two. It's been such a long time since we've done an episode. Mm. I had to look up the first two that I did. Yeah. Uh, did you know already? Because you could have just told me. No, I was just listening to you while you were looking at Oh, back. I see. I was like, oh, so you both eyes. You planned it as I was doing yeah. that. Yeah. Right, okay. I was going to do but it. But you somehow are so tuned into my being <laughs> that you just know, ooh, I suspect he's going to do a gimmick Well, here. yeah, to be fair, I think it did kind of pass through my brain when I was looking at like, oh, two eyes, Jordan will be expecting a third eye. See? But I didn't, I don't think I deliberately, not consciously anyway, I didn't deliberately veer away from that okay. just to throw you off. Not consciously. Not consciously. But at the same time, if I do three eyes, that, as in the world of Jordan Criddle, that then becomes a pattern. Mm. Two is not. Two is a coincidence. Okay. So I thought now would be the time. I don't want to restrict myself going on. Even though there's, there is an infinite amount of eye words that mm. I could do, I'm not going to do that. Okay. Because even while it's still a gimmick, me doing this... Mm. It, it's an unpredictable it shan't be a pattern, damn it's, it. it's an unpredictable gimmick. Okay, yeah, all right. It's, it's a wobbly gimmick. Okay. Um, so, how are you? Is this another gimmick? No, I'm still... <laughs> <laughs> What's his plan? I don't know. No wonder you can't find love. <laughs> <laughs> um, how are you today, George? Why? <laughs> I'm the same, though. When, when something good happens to me, mm. I do start to get suspicious. Okay. Of what... Why is this happening? Yeah. Um, no, I'm just asking how you are. Okay. Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah. You all right? Yeah. It's been... A, again, it's been a long time since we've done one of these. Yeah. But we say, it feels like we say that every time that we record one. I think that's usually the case. It is, no, it's usually the case. Yeah. But when does a recurring gag become stale? Mm. I mean, it's a recurring gag because it, it's reality. Yeah, it's recurring reality. It's recurring yeah. reality. But... Do we just have to accept at this point that this is not going to be? <laughs> it's uh, not going to be the fortnightly podcast no, we hope for. it's just whenever we get around to it, and you'll be grateful. <laughs> <laughs> Are we just going to have to accept that? Well, that How can... many times can we say, oh, it's been a while? Yeah. Oh, it's been such a long time since Well, we've it can never these. be the official line, you know, the fun filter podcast, the podcast that sometimes shows up. Yeah, I, why not? Well, if you want. <laughs> so, <laughs> I thought yeah. that was like a big no-no in the podcast where I was like, no, you, you turn up on time yeah. and people will come. Well, when the people are listening to those podcasts, I, th- I think that's a reasonable expectation. What, do you... That you turn up on time oh, yeah, and, I suppose. and stick yeah. to a schedule and everything. Yeah. And have some degree of quality control mm. and care about what you're doing. Yeah. But until... We have, we have a couple of those, maybe. A couple of those to some degree. <laughs> We have quality control, but w- within the the sphere of quality in which we operate. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, we do the best we can with what we have. Yes. We don't have listeners. That's the key missing ingredient, <laughs> I think. Yeah. And that's another recurring... Is it a gag? It makes me gag. <laughs> um, yeah. But again, it's not our fault, is it? No. Like, that no one's listening. 
Is it? Is it our fault? Well, I think it could be said that we're the common... The podcast is the common factor here in terms of like... Yeah. We've been, what, two, three years now? Yes. We've been going and we, we no one's listening. That's so. another way to look at it is that the other common denominator is everyone who's not listening. <laughs> and they haven't started to do that. Yeah. So they're the problem. Okay. I don't know. You hear that, people? Well, you wouldn't. Well, that's the You're thing. Not that's the thing. If at least if we had some dialogue with like a small fan base mm. that was like, "Oh, I think this is why you're not getting listeners," mm. then we could maybe maybe correct the course. Mm. But there's not even that. Uh, if only people would start listening. Yeah, people would listen. Exactly. <laughs> that's all we ask for. <laughs> okay. Well, now that our excuses have been made, yeah, should we dive in? Sure. Coming up. We review The Whale. We review The Fablemans. We review Puss in Boots The Last Wish. We review Tar. We review Happy Valley. We review Atman The Most Quantumania. That's what we review. Yay! <laughs> Alright. Let's start with a film review. Let's, let's be weird. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck the norms, am I right? Um, <laughs> let's start with a film review in this episode purely of film reviews? No, there's a TV review Oh, as well. Oh, throw a curveball in there. Yeah, yeah. Why I think, don't you? Is there more than one? T- no. I think five. There's literally, films. yeah. The only I don't know. They know more than we do at this point. Yeah, yeah. They who's not there. Yeah. Uh, the Whale. Let's review The Whale. Okay. Okay. What do you think of The Whale? <laughs> well, what is The Whale? The Whale is Darren Aronofsky's new film. Mm. It's, a, it's a bit of a departure from what he's been doing lately. Mm. Uh, it's more in line with The Wrestler, a kind of small-scale character study, mm. as opposed to the high concept kind of biblical parable epic thing that he's been doing lately yeah it's basically it's based on a stage play mm. and it's about a morbidly obese man mm. played by Brandon Fraser yes who is having heart problems and essentially has a week to live mm. and with the week that he has left he wants to mend his relationship with his daughter yeah who he hasn't seen in 10 years or so mm. that's the film really yes so when we we reviewed the father, uh, yeah, a few episodes back, uh, <laughs> well, like, many years like, ago, th- like three episodes. I was going to say many yeah. years ago, yeah. but like a couple of episodes yeah. back. Yeah, yeah. Um, we reviewed the father, and I came over and attacked you uh, mm. for making me watch Anthony Hopkins yeah. cry. Yeah. What do you think I'm going to do to you now, Sam? Now that you've made me watch Brendan Fraser cry. Yeah. Um, I don't know. What are you going to do? Have you planted something? <laughs> the bell ringing <laughs> I can it's a breaking bad reference I can hear ticking but I don't have a clock yeah <laughs> I thought of that line the other day weirdly enough and it's it, how that how is reality contrived a circumstance where I could say that in a context well there you go I don't know why it was it was just something like that uncanny sinister horror thing mm. I can hear ticking but I don't have a clock <laughs> It's like, well, it reminded me of that, you know, the short story, uh, the Harlan, no, not Harlan Ellison. You know, the, um, I have no mouth and I must scream, mm. you know, it reminded me of that. I have no clock, but I must tick. No, no, I hear ticking, but I have no clock. Oh, right, I see. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's also the Doctor Who episode as well, isn't there? The, with the, with the clockwork droids, the ticking, like they're hiding under the bed, so they destroy the clock. Oh, room. I don't remember. Oh, that was one of the good ones. That was the ones you liked. That well, was a shame, that, isn't it? That was a Moffat one. It's a shame that it gets lost. Yeah. I, I remember, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Sam did a dismissive yeah. hand wave yeah. then. I remember the, what's it, you know, the, the, good, the really good one. You know. 
<laughs> the best one. <laughs> the one you're going to tell me the name of now. I genuinely, I honestly can't, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing a thing. I can't remember the name. Ha- hash, not, not Hash. No, not Hash. Hash is the film. Yeah. What's, it's something like that, isn't it? Blink. Blink. Yes, Blink. Yes. You enjoyed that, did you? That's good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that one's good, because I, I kind of remember the episode, if not the title. Yeah. Uh, everything else is just going to, yeah. Okay. Okay, yeah, so The Whale. Uh, you're going to attack me. Is that is that what's going to happen? Well, I can't now. Uh, compromise that quality control. Well, no, it's not that. It's just like, I've said I plan to do it now. Oh, right. So Something if I just go ahead and do it, it's like, oh, yeah, he's doing... He's predictable. Yeah. Right. Is that why you never do what you're going to say? What no, you're no, no, you're no, it's do? like... Because... No, I just mean it would be flow-breaking if I actually beat you up now. Oh, right. We could edit it, you could stitch it together. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll beat you up later. Okay. Because um, then I can... Try, mate. Because <laughs> <laughs> I can take my time. Okay. Rather than having to make the audience sit through. Okay. It's like, oh, yeah, he's doing the thing. I have a feeling that anyone listening would like to hear that, to be honest. Yeah? Yeah. I think that, like, after a while, it just... Doesn't mean anything, right? I mean, how protracted a beating are you envisaging here? Well, I like Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, I also like Brendan Fraser. Yeah. So, by the way, I I I don't normally correct language. Yeah. I think it's just it's Fraser. Oh, Fraser. Yeah. My mistake. Well, it is his name. I should probably get it right. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't. We're Given probably going like to say it quite. Only, basically, the only character in the film. Yeah, we're probably going to say it a few times. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, um, nip it in the bud. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. yeah. Just talking about me. Not beating up because it's flow breaking is flow breaking. Yes. Review. Review. Um, Brendan Fraser is very good, isn't he? He's good. Yeah, he's good. Oh, he's just good. No, I don't. I'm kind of I'm a bit torn, really. Like he he is good. Yeah. And I don't begrudge him really winning the Oscar. Well, I was going to say how much of this is because again, this is an indication of how long it's been. Yeah. When we were originally going to record this episode, the Oscars would have been a way off, but they've happened now. Yeah. We were rooting for Colin Farrell for yeah. the Banshees of Inner Sharon. Brendan Fraser won instead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not like... It's not egregious. Yeah, I wouldn't say the wrong person won. I just would have preferred Colin Farrell I, to I, I, Well, I'd still phrase that as the wrong person won, but I, I just don't mind that much. But the reason I don't mind is because Brendan Fraser seems like a nice guy. Yeah. You know? So it's like a personal thing. But it is also a good performance. Yeah. Uh, I just wouldn't put it in the same league. As Colin Farrell. Yeah, but that was what I was going to say, yeah. is how much of him winning the Oscar over Colin Farrell has informed your thing of like, oh, it's a good performance. Oh, no, I, you know, I always try... I mean, I expected... My expectation going in was that I would not like it. Mm. Like, period. That's that's Yeah, that's exactly what I heard about the film. There's this film that Brendan Fraser is in. He's a fat person. Yeah. The film is rubbish, but he's very good. That's all I knew of The Whale. On the tin, it seems exactly like the kind of thing where the film is... Mediocre, mm. but it has a standout performance. Yeah, it's kind of that. I, I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say that his performance like completely overshadows the quality of the film. Mm. They're kind of on the same level. He's better than the film. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, the, but the, yeah, the film is pretty average. It's quite ironically, it's quite yeah. it's quite anemic. The film. Right, yes. I mean, just in terms of its... Yeah, it's bloodless. Yeah, in terms of its presentation, it's very desaturated. The camera is very locked down. It's well-behaved. There is movement, but only to kind of, like, follow a character moving around the room. There's no kind of life or personality in the camera outside of that. Well, it it doesn't feel like a Darren Aronofsky film. Like, I, I would say that Darren Aronofsky, his directorial style isn't something that you'd pick up on. He doesn't have like a distinctive mm. visual style in that way. 
It's more the ideas in his films yeah. and the tone. Tonally it is, mm. but I credit that to the playwright as opposed to the director. Yes. It is a bleak looking film. Yeah. And that's the only real way you might... If you if I didn't know who made this film, I wouldn't know who made this film. Mm. You know, it, it, it kind of lacks personality in that way. Yeah, definitely. I'd agree with that. I think The yeah. Father is actually like a, a kind of an apt comparison. Mm-hmm. Um... To to a degree. So, yeah, I mean, that is Anthony Hopkins in an apartment slowly succumbing to dementia. Yeah, yeah. And this is Brendan Fraser in an apartment slowly uh, succumbing to obesity. Mm -hmm. So it is, yeah, it's like you're in that location with that character and you are locked in. And there's some, like, there are some people that kind of surround them and they they have a moment or two, but it's mainly just you and that character. I would, yes, I would say the father is better by every metric. Yeah, well, that is also. Did we? Was that a criticism we levied at it? That it was. Um, it's a point that we made, but I don't think we phrased it as a criticism. That it's a filmed play rather than a piece of cinema in its own. Yeah, way. I never. Well, I never felt that was to that diminished. It. I mean, you could guess it was based on a play purely because of the insularity of the location. Yeah, uh, but I thought that w- that was quite cinematic all told, yeah. given that it was quite locked down. Well, yeah, the um, the image had more colour to it, yeah. for starters, but also the way that they kind of depicted the dementia. Yeah. Though I think possible on the stage, yes. it's better realised in the film because you, Edit, can, so, yeah, you can use yeah. film editing to disguise it more cleanly. Yeah. Um, whereas this, there is no... The film doesn't do anything to kind of contribute no. to the depiction of obesity. He's just there, you know? This really is a filmed play. Yeah. And I would say it feels like a um, kind of a first project. I mean, I know nothing about the writer, but it doesn't feel like something you'd write late on in your career. It's kind of a starter drama. Oh, it's about this guy. I'd agree with that, yeah. It's gateway level drama. Yeah. It's someone who doesn't watch adult movies. I know I know it's bleak. It's not like it's a good, it's representative of all mature films. But it's a good basic, it's easy to understand. Mm. There's a few characters, very basic, central, dramatic yeah. problem, you know. Yeah, it's logistically simple. It's Yeah, it's very simple. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I liked it more than I thought I would, but I still don't think it's that that good. Well, you said that you thought it was, yeah, it was going to be a, like a mediocre, all right film. Yeah. With one good central performance. Yeah. There's a couple of good central performances. Yeah. In fairness to it. What's yeah. her name? Hong Chow. Hong Chow. Well, I think she's the best thing in the film. Yeah, she was the surprise. Yeah. Um, yeah, that there was more to the film than Brandon Fraser. Yeah. Yeah, she, no, she is good. No, she's very good. And yeah. he's, she plays his kind of best friend, who's also his nurse, essentially. Mm. Yeah, you know, you see these stories, transformative performance, going to win Oscars. He's better than that headline. Yeah. He is better than that. But he's just, it's just not as good as Farrell. Yeah, so it, ha- yeah, it has that Jason Bateman in dramatic mode lighting to it. Yeah, but it's like... I think the... I, I, I don't know the technical terminology. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, I watched... Drain it! <laughs> drain it. Um, yeah, interestingly, I watched um, Boston Strangler, I oh, think yeah. it was called. Like, that's not what's something we're going to review on no, the podcast, no, 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 no. but I just watched it kind of in the gap between the last recording and now. Mm-hmm. And that is um, definitely that. Like right. what you've described, like like just like it's a problem in general at the moment. It I is, think, yeah. and stuff, but yeah, it like it's so dark. I get this, like 
temptation to desaturate an image or to kind of bump up your contrast mm-hmm. to make it kind of moodier mm-hmm. to match the tone. But I think we talked about it during Blackbirds because that was a particularly egregious example from last year. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of indie films that I have to sit through Yeah, that don't meet, rise to the level of, oh, you should watch this, that all have that problem. Yeah, because it's like, well, you're just, you're turning the dial too far in one direction. Because yeah. the father, yeah, it is, there is colour to it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's aesthetically nice to watch. Like, it, you know, yes. there's a nice colour to it. The set is well designed. And that helps you kind of sit through the misery that is, you know, that film. Yeah. Whereas with this, it's like a miserable story that's miserable to watch. Yeah. So it's, you don't have, there's no cushion. Yeah, well, I I mean, and there is a way of doing it. But I was going to say, but with The Whale, even though it is desaturated and it does have, as you say, that kind of like look to it. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just think like the image was balanced enough for me. It wasn't as if Mm. it was like too dark or overly dark. No, yeah, it it wasn't too dark. It was more just like, oh, I know I'm in for a miserable experience. Oh yeah, from the off, definitely. But, you know, there is a way of doing that desaturated thing, like Fincher. Yeah, he has moody looking Mm. and they look amazing. Yeah. Or even like the Americans, which had that kind of filter over it that yeah. sort of darkened the image. Yeah, one knows from the off it's going to be a bleak experience yes. with this one. It's not as... So the thing it reminded me of was, I know this much is true. Okay. Um, it's not as unremittingly dour. It's as, not? As, it's not. No, it's... I know this much is true is worse. Oh, shit. Okay. Um, but it's close along that axis. Okay. Definitely. Okay. So let's go into the details a bit here. I understand the fat people. <laughs> I understand the fat people are fat because they eat a lot of crap. Mm. But when you actually see him gnawing on fried chicken and chocolate bars, it's funny, isn't it? <laughs> and and it, it's almost like a cliche, which is so strange. Because it's like saying, oh, I'm watching a film about an alcoholic and he's drinking. What a cliche. That's obviously what he does. But when you see a fat person eating, you're like, did you have to show the meeting? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's a strange little detail. Yeah, like even even you like talking about it now is, is making me chuckle. It is funny. And like there are points where you like he falls over. <laughs> he couldn't even make it through the sentence. He falls, he like he, he leans on the table and it just breaks underneath him. And, you know, it, it's just funny. It, fat, massive people can't help but be funny. There's just something about it. It is actually an interesting point that you're raising. Yeah. Um, Because, yeah, I think if this were to be... Well, there were no laughs during The Father, were there? No. And I think even an alcoholic, a film about an alcoholic, um, I don't think that would be funny in the same way that this is. No, it's it's not. It's... um, And we talked about this. What is it about food addiction... Yeah, that's you. That that feels different from the rest of them. I mean, you, you have to float the possibility that in this, the excess, yeah, that is displayed is what makes it funny. And the red letter media review, the sound design. That oh helped. yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, well yeah. I think I think that definitely contributes to it because yeah. there is something about, um, yeah, just adding the kind of like that wetness. Yes. When he's eating the chicken. It's like <laughs> the fact you can hear it makes it funny. And we know, like that's the thing. It, it's there. If there are any laugh-out-loud moments... It, well, there aren't any laugh-out-loud moments. There may be one or two moments w- that are meant to be light-hearted. Mm. Like when she threatens to stab him or something like that. And, yeah. And, and he's, he's like... I, I, it's like two yeah. two feet until you get... You know. Yeah. That's meant to be light But you don't... You kind of go, oh, right. Oh, this is horrible. Yeah. 
and this is kind of pop psychology sort of thing, and a bit of a tangent, but we were talking about why you wouldn't have the same reaction to drug addiction or, uh, you know. Mm. I think it's because drug and alcohol addiction are so ingrained in the culture. Mm. We've seen films about drug addicts and alcoholics, and we know what it does to people. Yeah. We know what food does to people as well. But the thing with drug and alcohol addiction is that it alters the mind. Mm. Obviously, food does in its own ways, but not Yeah, like not it, it, it has um, control over the chemicals of your body to yes. a degree. Yeah. But it doesn't make you drunk. It doesn't make you high. You just no. get fat. Uh, so we take it less seriously in that I think that's definitely sense. part of it, yeah. that it. Sorry, I didn't realise. No, no, I was going to say, but the corollary, another little thing is that I think for most of human history, it hasn't been possible to be addicted to food. Yeah. For most people. Yeah, right? no, no, that is a good point, yeah. Yeah, and so, like, drugs go back infinitely, alcohol goes back infinitely. How many people in, how, not primitive necessarily, but like the Middle Ages, mm. how many people were eating themselves to death? Well, I mean, that was a sign of, of yeah, gross class, access, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, like kings and queens were able, Henry VIII was able Henry VIII to, or the, Mar- the Marquis de Sade, or, you know, yeah, like, and so, stick. Yeah, and so someone of that size was sort of, um, you kind of, that was one of the signs of their class. Yeah. So it, it, there was less kind of... And, and he is middle class by I mean he earns quite a lot of money he's, yeah. he's a lecturer you know, he's, yeah yeah he's, got, yeah he's got a proper um, job and everything but nowadays it's cheaper to be fat and unhealthy than the alternative oh god yeah so oh someone on the dole could do it yeah so yeah. now if you see someone obese they're probably working class yeah you know it's not it's not nothing anymore yeah so I think that's where it comes from is it's, it's ludicrous because it's not it's not in us in that same way yeah no you, you've raised good points yeah. I'd add to it that um as you say, with like drugs and alcohol, yeah, they are mind altering. Yeah, so there is a bit more. You understand why someone could get. Addicted. Yeah, there's more sympathy because you know that it, it's putting them in a state where they don't have total control over themselves. Yeah, they are escaping reality. Yeah, I, I would add to it as well, though, that um, yeah, escaping reality. Yeah, and like actually escaping reality rather than just yeah. you know like oh I feel better when I eat food it puts me in like a good mood yeah no it, yeah intoxicated yeah yeah, yeah literally intoxicated yeah. in yeah with the case of drugs but I would say as well that like with drugs mm-hmm. and alcohol those are things that as a human being you're not naturally in a position where you have to interact with them yes. You could go through your entire life and not drink. You could That's go true. through your entire That's life true. and not take up smoking or yes. take drugs. You have to eat. Yeah, drugs and, and alcoholism, in a way, are still like the peripheral things. Yeah. They're, they're kind of um, subversive. They're yeah. socially subversive. And I know that some people are born into circumstances, like obviously babies can be born addicted to heroin. Yeah, And yeah, there yeah. are certain people that are born into circumstances where it's inevitable they're going to end up drinking yeah. or whatever. But just like... Every human being has to eat yes, food. Exactly. And so every human being, I suppose, is expected to have some control yeah. or to like have, yeah, just have like an innate sense of, oh, I'm full, I'm going to stop yeah, eating I, now. I suppose when, myself included, you look at, I mean, it is obviously a psychological thing. You look at people that are massive mm. and you just go, well, just stop eating. Yeah. In a way that you wouldn't to someone who is an alcoholic yeah. or a drug addict. You get that it has a hold over you. Food does as well, obviously. Mm. But it is it is kind of the equivalent of, you know, I get high and I get smashed so I can leave my shit circumstances. Eating food is essentially the equivalent of sucking on a dummy. Mm. 
it's purely like comfort. It's just eh, yeah, need to do something. And there's never a, there's never like a, a a celebratory element to it. No, like with like obviously when you, you you kind of leave home for the first time, you go to university. There's this culture of like, oh man, I got so drunk last night, and like you know, yeah, you yeah. kind of it's almost like a badge of honor if you can drink yourself to the point where you're like throwing up. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, stuff like that. And you with drugs, until you're throwing up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and with drugs as well. There's you know certain ones. It's like. Um, that's a party, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, yeah. yeah. And food never has that. No. So, uh, yeah, I can kind of see how... I don't know. You should see us when Chinese is on its way. Oh, yeah. That's that's a party. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly enough for a party. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah. I, many. So, I, I think that's like... Yeah, I can see how th- there are points in this film that are funny that shouldn't be. That shouldn't be, yeah. Because cause of all of those things that we've just discussed. And it, yeah. it's unfortunate. But at the same time, I didn't feel like I was taking his condition less seriously no i wasn't I, I, taking... like when he was trying to eat himself to death i recognized that that what that's what he was doing i suppose what well, yeah i didn't take it less seriously it was more when it, it gets to that point where he is just eating everything mm. maybe because it's so horrible i just i just kept thinking well i know brandon fraser it doesn't look like that he's not actually like that yeah so it's fine so it could be funny do you know what i mean it's kind of a okay uh, I, I don't know. It, like I said, I don't, you know, quote-unquote bleak films, they very rarely get me. You know, I don't, mm. it, they don't get, make me down. I, at worst, I watch them and I think, well, I just won't, I don't want to watch that again. Mm. I didn't get anything out of that. It wasn't fun. Yeah. You know, it was and it, and it wasn't cathartic. And it wasn't cathartic. So, yeah, but they, they don't, like, get, get me down in that way. Uh, so I don't think I was, like, trying to justify, no, it's fine. Really, he's okay. <laughs> it was more just, ah, oh, you know. It's all right, really, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it's yeah. not. No, it's not. No, in real life, I mean. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, your heart breaks for Brandon Fraser as his fails. Um, <laughs> he's He is good. Uh, yeah, Hong Chao is good. Sadie Sink is good. Yeah. Though she does risk uh, being typecast. Oh, yeah, a point that a friend of ours made. Yes. Yeah, that, um, yeah. She's, she's, she's to she's be more careful. Yeah, yeah. The new life guy is, is fine. You know, the evangelist guy. But... That really, yeah, that felt like, um, I know that it does feed back into other mm. things. Like, it, it, in a way, it kind of helped, it does help Brendan Fraser reconnect with his daughter. Mm-hmm. But that really did feel like the one element where it's like, right, you've got your A plot, you need to yeah. throw in a B plot. Oh, that's definitely, that's a very play-y element of it, is like, bring in the character that can provide this kind of perspective, a religious perspective, save yourself. But I think it's such an easy go-to. This is kind of what I mean by entry-level writing. Okay. It's such like, oh, a character's like facing death. Well, you get in a religious character, you get in a friend. You know, it's just sort of... Yeah, he was fine, but written quite flatly, yeah. I thought. I thought I thought the way that he was brought into it was, was interesting. Because that, that, that's our first introduction to yeah. Charlie, the yeah. Brendan Fraser character. He has a heart attack while masturbating. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, to gay pornography because he's gay. Yes. And the guy just walks in because I think the door's mm-hmm. open or something. And so he kind of helps him overcome the heart attack after seeing the gay porn. So it's like, yeah, in that sense, that bit of little bit of writing is very economical in how you naturally bring a character It's also in. a lot. It is also a lot to, yeah. to throw you into it. Yeah. And I was surprised that he kind of stayed in it as much as he did. Mm. But also maybe it was a bit too much to have him as just a one-off. Yeah, I, yes. I think door-to-door evangelists as characters and religion as a theme is overdone mm. and often badly done. Okay. Uh, especially, yeah, like evangelists who only ever talk in kind of scripture 
oh, everything comes back to, ah, but God has a plan for you. Mm. It's like, I know there are people like that, very pious, but it's just, I don't think that's how people are, you know? I've, yeah. met, I've met a couple, well, more than a couple of evangelists, I have long chats with them, and it does tend to come back to, so you want to come to church, but they do just talk. Yeah. It's people that just talk to you. Well, because they're people, I think they realize that, you know, you can't just say to this person, oh, God, religion, and they'll just yeah, like, yeah. accept it. Yeah, well, I met a couple of uh, Mormons that have a church near me and just hearing Americans say, yeah, so we've been in Ponty for about two years. It's <laughs> like, no. Yeah. Uh, right, yeah, okay, so... Maybe roll the um, the evangelist and the pizza guy into the same character. Cause yeah. Because that, that was nice as well. Like, he's often ordering pizza to the apartment, and so... The kind of the pizza guy is trying to build a rapport with him because he's like, "Hey, I'm always here. Yeah. I just want to check." That was right. the most theatrical element. I'm like, I could see it like the off-stage voice. Yeah, the unseen character. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was clearly a theatrical adaptation, like 100. Mm. percent So a big thing around this film, other than Brandon Fraser, is uh, yeah, the big thing is does it stigmatize individuals disposed to the elephantine? Oh yeah. Because you can't, because you have to have these conversations. Yeah. Around this kind of. Well, the, people will always say that it does, just because it's about a thing. It must be kind of cheapening it. Well, it's a film called The Whale with a Fat Guy as the main character. Yeah. So and they, that is, it's it is kind of a joke. Like yeah. he, he's not the whale, even no. though he's called the whale at one point. Hmm. But that is a kind of like little wink, you know. It, it's which is strange actually to have even that little bit of humor in the title because hmm. that is funny. You know, yeah, that it's it's about yeah he's a lecturer and he keeps rereading this book report on Moby Dick. Mm. That's why it's called the Whale. But he's also gargantuan. Mm. Uh, right, the film doesn't stigmatize fat people. I would say that it's 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 more critical of religion than it is of fat people. Oh yeah, and religion isn't isn't even the main thing it's dealing with. No, but let's say for a second that it did whatever that word means stigmatize fat mm. people. Morbid, ob- morbid obesity is something that should be stigmatized, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, I, well, in the sense that, yeah, you don't want someone coming out of a film going, I want to be fat. What, you don't I, want to... I, I, wa- I want to reach the point where my heart is failing and I can't stand up and... Well, I just... Stig- stigmatization is, is one of these weird things where I don't know what it's meant to mean. If it means you have contempt for fat people. Mm. Like, oh, I think I hate you as a human being now. Yeah, that's wrong. Mm. If it's, ooh, it's not good to be that big, is it? That's a good thing. Yeah. Well, I think I think it's that. I think it's, um, you don't want to be putting people who are in this position, not necessarily because of their own actions. So people mm-hmm. who do have health conditions that mean that they struggle with their mm-hmm. weight. You don't want to be stigmatizing them. You don't want to be making them to feel like. But again, what do you mean by stigmatize? This is this is kind of yeah what okay I'm yeah I know I, I use the word when trying to define the word. That's always a sign that it's a it's a bad word or it's a word yes, being used it, incorrectly. It is a bad word. But you you don't want to be putting them in a position where they, f- to put it bluntly, yeah. like they feel bad. You don't want to make them feel bad for something they they have little control over. Even within that, I I I, can't, I know what you're saying. Yeah, you don't want to like insult personally attack fat people mm. but is it like I don't know a film about the dangers of uh, alcoholism is attacking alcoholics mm. it's not is it it's showing the reality of what it does to people yeah well it's, again it just kind of shows how uh, like 
how much of an island obesity is in this respect, where it's like you, you like him, like yeah, okay. <laughs> More, he's a, more, no, he's more, a whale. More, he swims, more, swims around it. More of a planet than an island. <laughs> um, yeah, we just had that conversation about how people treat, as an addiction, people treat it differently. Yeah. And why that might be. But then you've got this as well, where like all of these other addictions, they are treated like there's nobody going around saying like, oh, we can't make the heroin addicts feel bad for taking yeah. heroin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yet there seems to be that around obesity. And again, there is a, you know, there's the element of uh, you don't want to attack people that are big and kind of well, it's just not nice to attack people is it but at the same time and it is there's a psychological element to it mm. some people are predisposed to it but I also do think this is kind of nothing to do with the film really this is a side thing but there is a lot of bullshit around big people and the main the main element of that is they're not in control of it it depends how deep you want to go mm. In the level of, do we do any of us have control? You know, mm. in which ultimately I would say no. But in colloquial terms, mm. you're fat because you eat too much. Mm. Most people, yeah, you're fat because you eat too much. Yeah, and you eat are, more than you burn off. Yes, and there are people, like I said, who do have conditions where, even if they were eating healthily, yes, they still necessarily wouldn't be at a good weight. No, but I would say very, very, very. Yeah, few I do people. feel like that is the yeah. exception. I feel like yeah. it's kind of. It's it's sort of a similar thing with abortion, where it's like when you bring that up, it's like, oh well, what about rape and incest? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's like okay, that's one bit. Yeah, we can talk about that. Yeah, we'll talk but, about that. Let's talk about most of the. Yeah, there's also yeah. all of these other bits as well. Yeah. And well, yeah. the the cliche now is glandular, isn't it? It's glandular. Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, right, when people yeah. are big, they say, oh, it's glandular. It's you know, it's okay. or big boned. That's yeah, yeah. One. No, you eat more than. And I saw. I've been watching some Katie Hopkins clips. And she's on um, Keith, Celebrity Juice. That's the Keith Lemon thing, right? Yeah. And they were kind of having a go. He's like, what about metabolisms? That was not bad, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and she says, you know... Um, I could I could do a compilation at this point of you doing something. And, and then the going... review and then going, that was all right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I surprised myself. You know, it's nice yeah. when you can do that. Um, it's, uh, yeah. And she says, okay, well, for people that do have slow metabolisms, eat less. <laughs> you just kind of go, yeah. <laughs> you know but anyway um, yeah again this whole idea of stigmatising fat people not that you consider people saying morbid obesity is not morbidly obese is not a good thing to be hmm. you're not saying those people are less than it's just not a good thing to be no yeah um, on any level hmm. health wise aesthetically it's not good to be that big is it hmm. people that pretend like, oh I'm happy I'm healthy no you're not yeah Liz makes a couple of fat jokes which one's Liz Oh, uh, Hong Chow. Yeah, she okay. makes a couple of fat jokes, but that's just to show that they're close. They're close enough that she can do that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, for God's sake, no humour in the world of this film <laughs> would be unbearable. Yeah, I was going to say it's miserable yeah. enough as it yeah. is. Yeah. Uh, also, there's never the suggestion that the weight is the problem. Mm. It's the it's the immediate problem, mm. but it's not. But it's a manifestation of the deeper problem. Yeah, well, of this he, turmoil. They do, say, yeah, they do say that, like, oh, he was big before this, but like normal big. Yeah, yeah, like they do kind of explain where this kind of mm-hmm. um, where all of this came from, mm-hmm. and you can tell that he's unhappy. Yeah, and that he's in denial about it mm-hmm. almost because he's constantly apologizing for it, but yeah. also he refuses to go to hospitals yeah. and he clearly doesn't want to be seen. 
Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't feel like it's fair to demonize. I, I would say that like a lot of people that do say, "Oh, this film is demonizing," haven't seen it. They've seen the title yeah. and they've seen the still of yeah. Brendan Fraser. Yeah, specifically that one where it's him in George of the Jungle and then him in the whale, looking slightly cockeyed. Yes, <laughs> with like the oxygen tube and him yeah. going ah, as he's like pointing that right. one. <laughs> I haven't seen that. Okay. Um, yeah, but the f- it's not like the film is going. Oh, you're Charlie's the character. You're yeah. perfect, Charlie, except for the fact you're fucking fat. Yeah, it's not doing that, is it? It's mm. there's deeper stuff. Uh, yeah, this film will make you put down the Kit Kat and the can of Coke. But <laughs> it, it kind of it's strange. You had a paradoxical reaction. I had a paradoxical reaction to it. Did you have the um, supersize me reaction? No, it didn't. It didn't make me hungry. Okay, but it, it had the paradoxical reaction of, on the one hand, it, it made me think oh, I'm not that bad, really. I should stop beating myself up. I'm not that bad. Okay. But also, i got to sort my life out. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. i got to lose weight. Okay. Oh, God, imagine. Yeah. Given that it's a stage adaptation, I mean, I'm guessing it's a fairly faithful stage. I, well, I, it's the it's the writer of the play. Yeah, right? it, and it's just put on film, I imagine. Yeah. I just can't. The only element that I thought, oh, maybe that was an addition is when he sees the pizza guy. Yeah. I thought, oh, maybe that wasn't in the play. Yeah, and th- yeah, there's like one or two shots where you see the outside of the yeah. house. I mean, even in the play, you could build a porch set, yeah. like outside of the living room set. But um, the fact that you see an outside world and... Yeah, well, the fact, not much for example, that he lives uh, in an upstairs apartment, Yeah, which I feel really bad for the people who live underneath him. <laughs> I wonder if they, like, what they have to deal with on a yeah. day-to-day basis. But yeah. The fact he lives in an upstairs apartment. It's like, oh, that kind of feels like there's something, the, the detail you add on film. Not that yeah, he would yeah. get far anyway if he lived on a ground level apartment. No. But that like guarantees that he's trapped there, doesn't it? That yeah. He yeah. can't do stairs. Yeah. Terra firma. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and like plays can be, it's occasionally melodramatic, more than just dramatic, I would say. Mm. It can be quite hyperbolic at times. Well, how about that ending, huh? Well, yeah. Well, before we get to that, I, just to add that it's it's limited. It's limited in what it can do. Much like him. Much much like him, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's just going to devolve into a no, I know. bad jokes now. But that's the thing. It's, you know, we, neither of us are small. No. But we can... Um, Go downstairs. I, <laughs> we can walk downstairs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, by, by limited, I mean, it's, you know, it, it doesn't go beyond a certain point it, it's at a certain level of quality mm. and it just stays there yeah you know? uh, yeah the ending what did you think of the ending well it took me out of it oh really yeah because that's the thing it was it was working on me because you find out spoilers yeah might as well okay it turns out that that book report on Moby Dick was written by his daughter when she was in school mm-hmm and the reason that he keeps it around, because when he has that heart attack in the beginning and a couple of times throughout the film, he has other sort of attacks. Mm-hmm. He always reads this book report because he wants it to be the last thing that he ever hears. Yeah. The reason being that it's the most honest book report he's ever read and mm-hmm. that really resonates with him. Yeah. And at the very end of the film, we get to a point where the daughter is reading the book report to him. Mm-hmm. And earlier in the film, to kind of prove that he was serious about reconnecting with her she challenges him to walk from one end of the room to the other and he just Mm -hmm. can't do it yeah so at the end she's reading the book report and without prompt he gets up on his feet and starts walking over to her Mm -hmm. and even though there is like that musical swell and it does feel like oh the film is going look this is the big emotional climax melodrama melodrama it was working on me 
Okay. Like, I was feeling it. Mm-hmm. And then he ascends off the ground into white light. To be, like, to, be, to be fair, yeah, like, it, it is silly, but it, and a bit goofy. But it's not like, you don't see him flying, really, do you? It's like, you see his feet. You see his feet levitate. And you see him look up it's as the screen goes white. Yeah. 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 It's a bit, eh. And, and it's, it's easy as well. So like the, I think the reason it didn't work on me, one of the reasons it didn't work on me, okay. was I saw that coming a mile away. I saw that he would walk toward her. Yeah. And I saw that he would die at the end of it. You yeah. Know, because, like, he's dying then. Yes. That'll be the last thing that gets him. And to sort of return to, like, an earlier discussion we were having, how do you depict him dying and it not be funny? Right. Because if he's walking over to her and, and then... Pff, yeah, exactly. Falls down through several floors to the, <laughs> to the, to the core of the earth. <laughs> Well, not even that. Just like she finishes the book report, and he's just like, "Thank you." <laughs> it's, it's the only, <laughs> like it's on the the only recorded limp. It's the only recorded case of someone falling in their apartment and dying of incineration. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. You need to think of like a, I guess, a tasteful way of doing it. I mean, there is a way of you know, he just he dies sitting down or like quietly. Just he's just not there anymore. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, maybe she's like reading it, and he's died at some point. During the yeah, so through, like, like the end, I know you haven't seen it, but like the end of Midnight Cowboy, okay. where he realizes he's been traveling with a dead Dustin Hoffman for quite a while on the bus, right? Uh, something like that. Like, oh shit, he's dead. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's way over the top, but I guess maybe. I, I mean, God knows how they did that in the play, mm. like how that was realized. Whether he levitated, whether it was a lot more, he falls over. Like I don't know what they did. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it was hokey, and it's all just easy. Again, this is what I mean by entry level writing. The fact that. Oh, it was written by his daughter, and it's the most honest book. Report. I just kind of feel it's it's cheesy, and it's a bit like, okay, I get it, the sentimentalization, whatever. But he is a lecturer who teaches English, mm. you know, literature. Yeah, is it really the most honest book report he's ever? Read? Do you know what I mean? It's just a bit like, yeah, contrived. It's because it's his daughter, you know, and yeah, it is because his daughter. And this is what but... I mean by, I feel like it's it's a play that someone at uni could have written. Yeah. Okay. It's at that level. Okay. I think that's kind of all I've got. Yeah. Really. It's fine. It's fine. I recommend it. Only if you're a bit of a completist. Yeah, I, I won't stop people watching it. Yeah, yeah. It's not a bad film. No. But it's not very good. Yeah. It's but fine. He, but he's good in it, and she's good in it, yeah. and everyone else is fine. Yeah. And don't feel bad if you laugh. Because <laughs> yeah. you will. Yeah. Okay. So we do The Fablemans. Okay, well, we'll try. We'll try. This yeah, film it's been that a I long saw, time. This film that I saw like three years ago. Yeah. We're going to try and review that it That is now. an advanced screening. <laughs> okay, so do you want to premise The Fablemans? Oh, thank you, Sam. I did The Whale. Go on. A film that has no premise anyway. <laughs> and you want me to do it from memory? Yep. Okay, so The, the Fablemans is a pseudo-autobiographical film from Steven Spielberg. Mm-hmm. Um, it sort of charts the beginning of his obsession with filmmaking, the birth of his passion for filmmaking. Mm-hmm. And it kind of takes him to the point where it's, his career is clearly just about to begin. Yeah. Where he's like an apprentice. Or, yeah. Where he's yeah. kind of, yeah, he has an encounter at a film studio and he sort of gets the advice he needs to become Steven Spielberg. Mm-hmm. He's obviously not called Steven Spielberg, but it's supposed to be him. I think like there are instances throughout the film where he makes films with his friends and they're all films that Spielberg actually made. Right. The family dynamics, I think they're all based on his real family. So that's kind of what we mean by pseudo-autobiographical. Yes. 
a lot of it's taken from his real life, but it's not presented as an autobiography. Yes. This is one of those films that doesn't really have a premise. It's just sort of a collage of a person's life through a certain idea, i.e. his filmmaking and his relationship to that. Yeah. And then sort of in the background, it's also his family life. Mm-hmm. And how the two are kind of like inform each other, informing each yeah. other, and yeah, and how his, so it's like as his um, obsession and competency and the reality of him becoming a filmmaker increases, mm-hmm. his family unit sort of disintegrates. Right. These kinds of films, I don't have a lot of love for them. Me neither. I think just because it, it it's often the case of like, well, why? Yes. Not not broadly speaking, as like as a premise, just like. On an individual basis. It's like, well, why are we seeing this scene when he was 12? Right. You know, and things like... And, like, cause, because it's collage of time as well, especially when a child is growing up, obviously there are a lot of changing circumstances, especially in this film because they move several times. Mm-hmm. And so you've got uh, sort of secondary and tertiary characters that are playing a specific role within the story that will just disappear. Yeah. Because they, they don't live there anymore. Yeah like the final act villain doesn't turn up until like two hours into the film Mm -hmm. and it's like in that sense it's very loose and sometimes that can feel sloppy or sometimes it can just feel like I don't know it's too casual a relationship yeah it's too flimsy it's too I I don't mean flimsy I mean it's well made Um, yeah well I was gonna say this one I was okay with I was fine with this one yeah it is very well made yeah I mean it's just in terms of the cinematography I think it's, it's it's a strong case for I mean, this film, funny, and I suppose it makes sense given what it's about, but this film, for me, really did showcase what Spielberg could do as a filmmaker. Yes. Certainly as a visual storyteller. Yes. I, th- I think cinematography is its best feature. Yeah. It reminds me of the latter-day P.T. Anderson films. Okay. Like, um, well, everything from The Master to Licorice Pizza. Okay. And not just because of the period. It's got that nice bit of grain to it. Mm. And, yeah, Janusz Kaminski is quite a lauded DP. But he's a bit of an unsung hero, really. Like He's so adaptable, mm. the different kind of things that he's done with okay. Spielberg. Examples? So, Saving Private Ryan. I mean, every Spielberg film, essentially. Oh, right, okay. Um, after a certain point. Yeah. Schindler's List, he did. Okay. You know, someone that can... Like, like the restraint of... The relative restraint of Schindler's List mm. to Saving Private Ryan. You yes. Know, it's, yeah. It's, it's a lot. Cast is solid. Yeah. Paul Dano is nicely reserved. He's yeah. not cast Paul Dano. I was going to say, Paul Dano character. playing a character you would never expect Paul Dano to play. Yeah. Just like a nice, well-tempered father figure. Yeah. Yeah, that was good. Michelle Williams is good, but she occasionally, and I, I know this is the point, but she verges on the manic. And I yeah. found that a bit annoying. Well, she falls in love with Seth Rogen, so I think yeah. that... that character check their sanity at the door a long time right, ago. Right, exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> he never does that. No, he doesn't. He doesn't Wisely do never does yeah. that. Uh, no, I don't, I, don't get, I don't get the impression there was much riffing on the Fablemans. No. But I just, yes, it was a bit too, she was a bit too much for me. I, I thought that her performance notched the film above its otherwise very natural presentation. Mm. Again, into what well, bordered on melodrama. Her performance bordered on melodrama. Oh, she's she is a film character, isn't yeah. she? She's I, a... I know the the, the mother. She's meant to be very spirited and yeah. Oh, I'm now up on a, a chair saying something loudly, and you go, oh, yeah. Annie Hall, get a fucking grip. <laughs> it's just, you know, Judd Hirsch was a standout. Mm. Like he was nominated for the Academy Award, and I don't think he deserved it over Paul Dano. No, just given the amount of film he's in. But I missed him when he was gone. Yeah. I really wanted more of that kind of proper 
Jewish. Yeah. You know? Is there or should there be like a like a time limit before you can be nominated for a supporting role? Yes, it's one of those things where we we come up with a rule and go, yeah, that works. But then someone would break it. Yeah. Ah, oh, but what about that fucking that one scene? And you know. Yeah. So I I don't know. It's difficult. I mean, I guess they could do like that. Ba- not guest actor, but like best supporting supporting <laughs> performance. Yeah. Best cameo. It's essentially a cameo. I guess. Yeah. I and I I really liked it's the film's subtle messaging. So like, the family and art tearing you into Spiel when he has to make Spielberg Spielberg when he has to make the movie for his mother mm. I saw that as the battle between art and commerce okay between being true to a vision and pleasing a crowd oh okay uh, and there was a couple of things like that like he can't I, th- I think the crux of the film for me is he's making like a home movie of his family mm. and through editing he kind of uncovers the fact his mother's having an affair yes with the Seth Rogen character that's not my f- favorite no, scene in the not, film no the, the final scene is the best scene yes but uh, i feel like that scene that you just described the editing scene yeah. epitomizes the film yeah that's me. the heart of the film yeah and that's discovering truth through filmmaking yeah right uh and then the scene where he's when he makes the film with the bully yeah and the you know he kind of this guy who's been bullying him and he films him in, in like a heroic way because mm. that's how people see him yeah that was about breeding empathy through filmmaking and yeah. capturing the true essence of a person or how that can be manipulated. Yeah. Uh, so little things like that, like learning those lessons through, that was kind of the best thing in the film, really. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, I, you thought I'd really like it before. Yeah, I kind saw, of for the reasons yeah. that you're describing. Okay, well, fair. I mean, I liked it for those reasons. Mm. And, you know, it's got those ingredients. It's got the Jewishness, which I like. It's got yeah, the, that as well, yeah, I suppose. It's got yeah. the old school filmmaking, which yeah. I like. Uh, but it lacked an X factor. Which I think, going back to what you're saying, with films like this, um, is narrative thrust. Yeah. I'm not big on boyhood-esque, meandering time capsules, Mm. you know? It's more disciplined than that. Yeah. It's not quite as meandering as that. And it's still a good film, but I couldn't love it. Mm. There are films like Magnolia that don't necessarily have a solid through line, but the momentum of those films... Keeps you hooked. Yeah. Like, even though Magnolia's a three-hour-plus film, it moves constantly. Yeah, yeah. It's not the highlight of Spielberg's career, as some people have called it. Mm. I think it's easy to say that because it's him going back to the roots. Yeah. It's quite twee, all said and done. I, I think. suppose. And yes, it's it's a very good final shot. Yes, yeah. Well, yeah, I, I think I said to you, because I saw it before you, uh, yeah. it's one of my favourite final shots that I've seen in a while. Yeah. Just because it says so much... Like, it does. It, it, is it, it is. too complicated to explain quickly? No, I don't think so. I okay. think it might be, I don't know if you've changed your mind since the last time we discussed mm-hmm. it, but we had a disagreement about its yeah. execution, so maybe yes. that'd be worth discussing now. Um, yeah, so the final scene, Spielberg, or Fableman, whatever he's called. Sammy. Sammy Fableman. Yeah. He's sort of trying to get a position at a film studio, and they say, oh, we don't really have anything yeah. for you at the moment. But how would you like to meet the world's greatest living director? And, and he meets himself. It gets all She-Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the ultimate metafiction film. Yeah. So very quickly, this reminded me now. I was watching an Oxford debate the other day uh, about um, woke culture has gone too far. Okay. And there's Toby Young on there, and he said, um, "What?" He was kind of unpacking the phrase like, "What does woke culture mean?" It's an oxymoron, like. Um, Military intelligence was the example. He says <laughs> right. an oxymoron. Says there's no such thing. He said, you know, what has Christian culture given us? It's given us the Sistine Chapel. You know, handle. He, go, he says all these things. What has woke culture given us? 
She-Hulk Attorney at Law. (laughs) (laughs) The Collected Works of Owen Jones. And Meghan Markle's Autobiography. (laughs) But yeah, so I carry on. Okay. Um, Yes, so he goes into the office. Mm -hmm. um, And you sort of look around the wall and there are all these uh, posters for John Ford films. And you're like, ah, I see where this is going. Ah, it's... It's Alia Kazan. <laughs> yeah. And then fucking David Lynch walks in. Yeah. Actually David Lynch now. Yeah. Not playing David Lynch, playing no. John Ford. Yes. And they have a very kind of like kooky off-kilter interaction. I asked you as well, is is this David Lynch's new uh, side gig? <laughs> playing like industry personnel that are like coaching Yeah, like high, high level... Like gurus of media, yeah, that, yeah, that foster young talent. Louis, of course, being the other Louis. example where he's kind of training yeah. him for the Tonight Show. Not Twin Peaks, though, where he's just deaf and goes whack a lot. <laughs> um, well, do you think before we get into it as well? Do you think, in a way, this is Spielberg saying that he thinks David Lynch is the best living filmmaker? I mean, that's a nice. It's a nice look because it's yeah. a strange. You know, you got to cast John Ford, so it's either a random actor, yeah. It's a statement casting David Lynch, right? Yeah, casting a film director as a film director. Especially one that I'm assuming, because I'm not intimately familiar with John Ford's filmography. Yeah. But casting a director whose directing style has no relationship to the director he's cast as. John Ford is one of those like old school filmmakers that you wouldn't know you were watching a John Ford film. Yeah. But he's directed like 20 films that you know are considered the best ever. Searchers? Yeah, Searchers. Grapes of Wrath. He's done everything. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, and I suppose it's a nice uh, nod of approval to David Lynch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so they, they have a kind of interaction with David Lynch sort of gives him advice. Mm-hmm. I suppose I need to tell you what the advice is for the final shot yeah, to yeah, make yeah. sense. Yeah, so he kind of, he says, you! God, I've got to try and do a David Lynch impression on, now. I can't, well, what the fuck is David Lynch? Well, nasally, yeah. high-pitched. You, go, go look at that. That's not bad. Okay, go look at that picture. Well, you got to do the accent as well. What's his accent? Well, it's American. Go look at that picture. <laughs> you want to be in the pictures? <laughs> Something on a cigar. Yeah. Well, he does, actually, doesn't he? He does, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it literally yeah, yeah. does, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm not going to do the accent. But he says, yeah. look at what do you notice about the picture? And obviously, yeah. you don't know what he's fishing for. So the guy's just like, oh. Mm-hmm. And he goes, uh, the horizon's at the top of the image. Now, go look at that picture. The horizon's at the bottom of the image. And the advice is, it's along the lines of, if the horizon is at the top of the image, it's interesting. If the horizon's at the bottom of the image, it's interesting. The horizon's in the middle. It looks like shit. Yes. Now, fuck off, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Yeah. So he leaves the office uh, sort of reinvigorated yeah. with this newfound knowledge and wisdom. And he's sort of walking off into a studio back lot and the camera kind of settles on him. Mm-hmm. Horizon in the middle of the shot as he's kind of walking away. And then the camera quite awkwardly, awkwardly yeah. and deliberately so, I would yes. say, adjusts so that the horizon is at the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. So you can see like the sky above him as yeah, he's yeah. walking off into the distance. Yeah, I mean that to me felt like Spielberg must have done that camera movement himself. That was right? that was my thought because it, it feels it, like a signature. It's signature. It's very deliberately clumsy. Yeah, because you need to know like oh a person is adjusting the shot now. It's almost yeah. like the film has decided. Yeah, he was right. We got to fix this. Yeah, yeah. In real time. My only the concept is fantastic. Yeah, and I get why it's clumsy because you need to know that he's applying the logic. Yeah, to, that was just given filmmaking. To yeah, but it just broke because the film is very formal. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, it's a complete departure from yeah. the style of the film that you've just seen. And it's the final shot. You could argue it doesn't matter now. Yeah, like that. 
it's not a big problem for me, but I just, I, I, it would have been nicer had it gradually just panned. For me, I think. Like, maybe side by side it wouldn't have worked, but like, it's a bit more subtle that way as well, and just kind of like, it would have, it would have been in tone with the film. Well, that's the thing, it would mean, you know. it would stay in tone and it wouldn't corrupt the style. Yeah. But I think the intent of it would be lost. I don't think it would. I think it would. I think, I think, I don't. I think the, um, if the camera just drifts, down yeah. so the horizon is 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 lower in the image or yeah. drifts up so the horizon is yeah, lower yeah. in the image. Some people might less people would notice it. Yes. That's not necessarily a bad thing. No, it's something it'd be more subtle. Yeah. yeah. But you might go, Oh yeah, I guess that's uh, I guess that's what that guy was just on about. Yeah. Whereas if the film it's like it's the fact that like it feels like the film is listening to him. But which it hasn't done at all until this point. No, but like I know it's the end, so it can break rules. Well, it's not just that it's the end, yeah. but it's like because we don't see anything after that. Yeah. Because th- that final shot needs to basically tell us, and now Spielberg is born. Yes. And I feel like that's its way of doing it. Yeah, I agree. I think what it comes down to really is just how subtle does it... Like, what's your taste regarding subtlety sort yeah. of thing? One of my b- big things recently is watching things and... A, not a joke being explained, but like it going a step too far or like one thing that didn't need to be said. Mm. We were just watching Veep before we recorded this. Yeah. And uh, the main character, Celia Maya, thinks that she's pregnant and she's late to this appointment and she goes to, she's talking to a guy and she goes, oh, I'm so sorry for being late. And then turns to her colleagues and says, I've never meant that more in my life. And like, you didn't need that. Mm. You could have had like a little awkward glance at them. Yeah. Like, oh, that has more weight than I thought it. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. you didn't need the line. And so for me, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm just big on subtlety. Okay. You know? And so I think that, I get it. Like I said, I'm not quibbling. I understand mm. it. But I would have liked a nice, like, ah, and now the camera's going to, you know what I mean? It's rather than a, like kind of it going down. Yeah. Like I said, there's no point in arguing over it. Well, really. No, it's, no, I know. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I've explained my reasons, but also I feel like it would make the shot less memorable. Yeah, like so you'll, it you'll remember that shot forever. It would certainly make it less memorable. Yeah, I, I concede that. Yeah, and I guess if you really are a film buff, that it does plant the thought in your head on a production level that Spielberg did that himself, mm. which you wouldn't think if it was a slow tilt. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so okay, you know what I mean? It's like you can have it. It's fine. Yeah. I just I don't know. No, I just I just yeah. thought, I thought it was interesting that um, you were the one kind of arguing for consistency in this situation yeah usually it's the other way around well i i like arguing for like artistic consistency yeah (laughs) not like in life (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but no it does uh, you know for all the things i've said that i don't love about it it does yet again reaffirm that he was born to be a filmmaker oh absolutely him and scorsese right they were born to be filmmakers yeah yeah is that it uh yeah i think so it's it's fine i i this one i recommend i'm leaning more towards a recommendation than i was with the whale I don't know, actually. Okay. It depends who you are. It's it's better than The Whale in every sense. Yeah. But The Whale's more accessible. I think you would maybe have to be into film a bit to like The Fablemans. Otherwise, the point might escape you. Well, I think it's... I don't necessarily think the point would escape you, but I think a, fi- a film person will get more out of this. Absolutely. Just because the film is so clearly in love with filmmaking. But I just feel like if you're not in it for the kind of the filmmaking aspect of it, mm. and it's the family drama... Well, then there are just 10,000 better family dramas that you could be watching. 
Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, okay. If it was not about... And actually, I heard... I mean, the, the big thing of this film is it's, Spiel, it's a Spielberg autobiography, mm. right? And after I saw the film, I saw him telling the anecdote of meeting John Ford uh, in an interview years before The Fablemans came out. Mm. And it is beat for beat what happens in the film. Okay. So had I seen that interview before the film, it would have stripped away all or a lot of significance for okay. me. Because it is beat for beat. He tells that story exactly how it plays out. Maybe the surprise would have, of David Lynch would have carried it. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Right, let's do Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. Yay! <laughs> An episode earlier than promised. Was it? Yeah. Because I think the, the last episode that came out chronologically, it was our top ten of the year, right? Mm. <laughs> I think it was. Okay. I think it was our top ten of the year. Puss in Boots was my number nine. It was my fourth favorite film. Yeah. But it was my ninth okay. overall. Okay. We, do, we do TV and film together. In yeah. The top ten. And you were like, Puss in Boots review incoming episode, and I think you said two episodes ahead. Ah, right, because we thought schedule. Yeah. Yeah. But that's not happened. So now here's your Puss in Boots episode, several months late, but an episode early. Yes. Okay. It's fun. Okay. It's fun. Why do you hate it, Sam? <laughs> I don't hate it. I don't hate it at all. Okay. I don't really have any problem with it. Okay. But I, you're not, you're I, not I, thrilled. I just, don't, I just don't have much to say about it, you know? Okay. It's, uh, no, I'm not thrilled. Um, you know, fear me if you dare. That's fun. That's a, good, <laughs> that's, a, that's a good line, you know? Yeah. Um, but that's not from this film. That's just, that's a, he's had that for a while. Oh, is he? Yeah. Oh, never mind then. I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, um, oh, what's the plot? Right. <laughs> so Puss in Boots Last Wish. Yeah. Uh stars um Antonio Banderas as Puss in Boots mm. and Last Wish as itself. The film is Sam's staring at me. <laughs> like, why did you do that? <laughs> Proceed. Okay. Um yeah, no, uh Puss in Boots is a cat. Mm-hmm. Cats have nine lives, except Puss in Boots doesn't anymore. He's on his last life. He has a brush with death that kind of yeah. freaks him out a little bit. So he kind of hangs up the boots, uh, well, buries the boots, buries the whole Puss in Boots garb on the ground, mm-hmm. buries that life, tries to go into retirement to keep himself safe, but then he learns of this titular last wish, this magical thing that grants you you know, a wish, and he's like, oh, I can get all my lives back, and I can mm-hmm. become Puss in Boots again. And so he and a couple of other characters go on this journey to the last wish, hijinks are had, feelings are felt, lessons are learned. Mm-hmm. So yeah. why do you hate it? I don't. I really don't hate it. I just don't have. I mean, it's been a while since I've seen it. It's um, maybe this drives at the heart of it. it is I don't think it's that memorable. Mm. Like as someone, you have you watched it more than once? Yeah. See, so like because you like it, you're into it. Yeah. Right. I liked it. Mm. I don't. I can't really find fault with much. No. It's one of those things. Yeah, yeah. But I have no compulsion to go back to it. Okay. There are plenty of good. He's a cat jokes. Yes. The Spanish cover of The End by The Doors. Yes. That was good. Apocalypse Meow. <laughs> <laughs> the End is in Apocalypse now. Okay. Um, it's like, I don't want this to be damning with faint praise because it's better than this is going to make it sound. Okay. It's a quality version of Chip and Dale. Mm. What, what do you mean by that? You know what? It's in the notes that I wrote at the time and I have no idea. <laughs> 
Um, what, what do I mean by that? Because Shrek has always there. had the kind of shared universe component to it, right? Yeah. All the fairy tales living together in one. Maybe that's what it is. Like the, the kind of the universeness of it. Yeah. Yeah, they, they, I mean, you said, and I agree, that they milk the three bears gag a couple of times too many. Yeah, okay, so there are, uh, so Puss in Boots, he goes on this quest, and there are multiple villains that he has to overcome. One of them is sort of a physical incarnation of death himself. There's also uh, Big Jack Horner. Yeah. Obviously a play on Little Jack Horner yeah. nursery rhyme, and he's just this psychopath that hates all things fairy tale and magic. Yeah. And the other set of villains are the Three Bears crime family. Yes. Accompanied by Goldilocks, which is a fun idea. Yes, it is. And I mean, there are loads of things that I, I do like about this film. I think that's one of the things that does work for it, is that on paper, you only need the death villain. Mm-hmm. But by having those other villains present that all kind of serve a different purpose, they kind of make up for deficits in the other characters. Yeah. Well, it's kind of a rat race thing. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, it, yeah it's it's a mad dash yeah. to the to the last wish, really. Um, so death is kind of pursuing Puss in Boots throughout the film because he wants to take his final life prematurely because he's just fucking sick of Puss in Boots. Yeah, and all of the shit that he's giving him over the years because he's been invincible until now. Yeah, you've got Jack Horner who wants to get the last wish for his own nefarious purposes, and he is kind of the death is sort of the force of nature villain that yeah. has no desire himself other than just to kill Puss in Boots. Mm-hmm. He is just, I am this immovable force and I'm coming after you. Jack Horner is the irredeemable villain who's just like, he can't be reasoned with, he just wants what he wants. Mm-hmm. And he's not deviating from that. And then the Goldilocks crime family, they're kind of the redeemable villains. They kind of have, they're kind of the fun characters. Yes. And they they are kind of redeemed at the end because they sort of find Goldilocks' Goldilocks's wish. You've been watching too much of that. <laughs> I've been watching the wrong Pussy Boots, it seems. Um, yeah, she it turns out her wish is that she wants a real family, mm-hmm. but she finds out the bears are her family, so they kind of they become a family unit at the end. Yes. And yeah, it means that like each character is able to really become the archetype that they represent. Death is really... Right. He is a serious threat... He is a serious force of nature. Mm-hmm. Jack Horner is just a total bastard. Mm-hmm. The Goldilocks family, they do actually try and give character to those villains. Right. I'd say the same is true of Puss in Boots as well. I mean, the cat joke thing, mm-hmm. that's always been a running thing through everything yeah, he's yeah. done. Because he's a side character in the Shrek universe. Yes. But like even Donkey is a side character, or as a sidekick, I should say. Donkey is still a character unto himself. Mm-hmm. Puss in Boots is more of a, like a fun he's more of a joke character a joke yeah because he is Zorro mm-hmm. he's a Zorro parody and he's also a cat a cat that's it yeah. yeah any scene you watch I think even from his first film mm-hmm. any scene he's in he's either being a parody of Zorro or he's being a cat yes this I would say he's a, he's kind of moved beyond that yeah yeah it feels like he's finally a character now mm-hmm like when he's terrified of death and like this film really does strip him down. It's mm-hmm. kind of like, I know that the Spider-Verse comparisons, I've made those before yeah. in the review. I think everybody has because of the animation. Yes. But also just, it feels like they looked at it and go, right, it's not just the animation that people resonate with, with Spider-Verse. It's the way they kind of treat its character. Mm-hmm. Basically the whole film is a test to see whether they are worthy of the legacy that they're trying to hold. So mm-hmm. obviously Miles Morales and Spider-Man, mm-hmm. Spider-Verse in this is Puss in Boots really worthy of being yes. that legendary outlaw? Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's just like, I don't feel like Puss in Boots has ever had that kind of attention <laughs> given to him before. Yeah. And it's kind of nice that 
they were able to make a character. I always kind of liked Puss in Boots, mm-hmm. but this film made me realize that I never saw him as a character before. Right. And so for me to finally kind of be like, oh yeah, he is like, he is a person. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. And it's strange. Like, I don't disagree with anything you've said. Yeah. It's more like the film nowhere near rose to demanding the level of analysis that you've just given it. Okay. As like, oh, the villains represent different kind of... It didn't ask that of me. Do you know what I mean? And like... No. It... Like, to me, it was... Yeah, I can't really fault it. It was divertingly fun. You know what I mean? It was like yeah. one of those things that... Oh, this is good. Yeah. It's fun and colourful and smart. It's it's very well made. It's I'm very well made. The, yeah. yeah. The, the visuals are great. Um, well, not just the visuals, but I think I think I said during that mini review, just the pacing of it. Yeah, it's, the pacing. It's such a well paced film. It's all good. You yeah. Know? But I I just saw it as like it's fun. I didn't. It's not more than that. You okay. Know? Yeah, it zips along, colorful. It doesn't let you go mm. at any point. There are a few gag reflexes, uh, mainly from Horner. Yeah, I didn't... But like, I didn't find any too irritating. I was going to say, yeah. yeah, Horner, just like as an idea, as a character, that should have been something that I hated. Yeah. And I was fine with him. Well, there's... Like- I think because... Because the film is moving so quickly, because there's so much other stuff going on as well, and, I, and sometimes they're able to make it work. It is like... It's weird because it's just John Mulaney. Yeah, it's just the... Porky Pig, or what was it? Peter Pork? What, <laughs> what would you play in Spider Verse? Uh, not Spider Pork. What's it called? Spider Ham. Spider Ham. Yeah. Spider Pork. <laughs> spider Pork. Um, yeah, exactly. It's just, it's just, it's, it's not even, because even that, it feels like he's kind of doing the, the yeah. like the, like that kind of, yeah. Whatever that voice is. Like t- 20s, 40s, yeah. Like detective, or, yeah, yeah. He's not even doing that in Puss no. At least, like, Olivia Coleman is trying to do, like, a Cockney thing. Yeah, this is... I mean, yeah, Olivia Coleman voices Mama Bear or whatever. Yeah. And Florence Pugh voices Goldilocks. They're wasted. I mean, I like... Yeah. They're talent... You don't need them for this film. Hmm. You know, like, they're bigger than this film. If you, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I feel like Ray Winston was always going to play a character like that's that. That's fine. Yeah. You know, that's, yeah, that's commensurate. Yeah. Nice, clear theme. Mm. In and out, done, boom. I am surprised at the dissent in the British press because it's been very well reviewed in America. Well, that's the thing. If you just... Because um, there was a gap, obviously, between the American release yeah. and the British release. This came out February? February. Yeah. Early February in Britain, whereas yeah. it came out like at the end of the year in America. And if you just went on the Ameri- off the American reaction, then this was like this was something to take note of. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as it came over to Britain, it seemed to lo- lose all momentum completely. Yeah, people say, I don't get it. It's like one star, two star. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm like between. Like, it, we've talked about this before. It's like in the 90s. Mm. I don't think that, me- like for me, I don't think that means it's nine out of 10. It, it means it's uh, seven out of 10, but that's a positive review. So it gets yeah. up to 90. But equally, I can't really fault it. Mm. I just didn't think there was that mu- much to it. You know, there's not much of a muchness about it. Okay. It's just fun. And it, it's kind of flawless fun. And that makes it sound better than I think it is. Right. Yeah, it's hard, it's hard to explain, really. I, I, think it's, I think it's good for what it is. It's interesting, because I, I do think it's better than... Mm. I don't have a problem with your opinion of it. I yeah, don't yeah. feel like you're not giving the film yeah, enough yeah, yeah. credit. But I do think it's better than that. Okay. Yeah, I don't. I, I'd recommend it to anyone. Yeah. Like, when you said, like, about it having such, like, a nice, clear theme. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was something I really appreciated, that it was... Um, 
when I say mature, I don't mean that like, oh, it was grown up and it yeah, was yeah, adult. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, oh, it's for, you know, yeah, not yeah, for yeah. little babies. I don't mean like that. Yeah. I just mean mature in terms of its... Well, mature theme, yeah. Well, it's a mature theme, but also just its approach to that theme. Okay. You put it up against any other kids' film and they're all like loud and noisy and like, mm. oh, kids, we're trying to get your attention. And, right. and this film is brisk and it is colourful, but it does feel like it's just, hey, I'm just a film telling a story with a clear theme. Yeah. It doesn't feel like it's trying to play things down. It doesn't feel like it's... Mm-hmm. Like, it was like, okay, we're going to tell a film about the anxiety surrounding death. Mm. And let's just do that. Let's just do the film. Sure. And mature in that sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also I think that in a way that kind of... This is going to seem like... Depending on how I phrase this, this might not seem like a fair point from your perspective. Right. Um, so I'm going to try and explain it as best mm-hmm. I can. In that respect, I feel like that kind of puts it in a similar category to, like, the old... The Golden Age Pixar films. Okay. Because I've said one of the things that I like about those, intentional or otherwise, is those are films that grow up with their audience. Right. The original Toy Story, Finding Nemo, Monsters, Inc., The Incredibles, all those films like that, they are about something that resonates with you later in life. Mm -hmm. So when you first see those films, you're a child. Like, you see Finding Nemo... And you're like, oh, talking fish movie. I like the talking mm-hmm. fish movie with the talking fish. Mm-hmm. You kind of grow up, you sort of leave that film behind and then you come back to it and you're like, oh, this is actually really well made. Mm-hmm. It's well written and I care about it and it's good. Yeah, yeah. And then you become a parent and you go back to it and it becomes a fucking horror film because it's like, oh my yes. God, this kid is like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I feel like Puss in Boots, The Last Wish has the potential for that. Okay. Where kids watching it today will enjoy it because it's a fun Puss in Boots mm-hmm. movie. And then they'll come back to it years later. And I think they'll see things like the panic attack scene and just like the okay. conversations there. And they'll go, oh, this is like better than I expected. And it resonates that, with me. That I, I would agree that kids watching it then grow up and, and stop watching kids' films and then grow up even more and go, oh, I can appreciate kids' films. And it holds up. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. I do not, I would not put it anywhere near the calibre. Of the of classic Pixar, I'm not necessarily yeah I know, saying I know, that I know, it's of no. equal caliber. I know. What I you're just saying. think that in that aspect, in that aspect, which I concur. Yeah, but I also don't think it has the depth of those films either. It has that. Yeah. Mature, it has the mature themes, but it, it doesn't go as deeply. I'm also just aware of the fact that I'm coming at this from the perspective of I'm already at a stage where my relationship with this film probably isn't going to change. I'm not going right. to come back to this in 20 years' time. No, yeah, and yeah. have a new re- yeah, relationship yeah. with it. Yeah, yeah. Whereas kids will. Yes. So I don't know whether, like, someone who was our age 20 years ago talking about, like, Toy Story or Incredibles mm-hmm. or whatever came out. Or Finding Nemo, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, whether they would say the same thing about Finding Nemo. It's like, oh, this doesn't have as much depth as, you know, what you're talking about. I don't think... I mean, you know... This feels like one of those films where, yeah, maybe we saw it when we were kids. And then you watch it as and then you go, oh, it's actually quite good. Yeah. Kind of like Shrek. No, Shrek is better as well. It, uh, not quality-wise, now. Yeah, 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 sure. Go, well, no, I suppose I do mean quality-wise. Where like you watch, you watch the last one and go, "Oh, that's actually good." I might even get the DVD of that. Mm. Whereas Finding Nemo or something like that, you go, "Oh, that is actually really good." Yeah, I don't think it's on that level. Okay. Um, I agree that though. That, yeah, you it would hold up as you get older. Yeah, and you'd like it for different reasons. I mean, but it's it, it's just nice because. I don't feel like we have those films no, anymore. No, that's true. Kids don't have those films that's, anymore. That's true. But again, I, I just want to emphasize, re-emphasize, I wouldn't put it near the caliber 
of Toy Story or Finding Nemo. No, and it's that's nowhere near that. Yeah, and that's yeah. fine. That's your opinion to have. Yes. Do you think <laughs> it is? Do you think it's in the same league as Toy Story? I don't. I wouldn't say that it's like better okay. than some of the Golden Age picks. Yeah, Certainly, yeah. the Golden Age Pixar stuff I like, like yeah. The Incredibles and Monsters okay. Inc. It's not better than those. Okay. And I think it would be bold to say that it's better than either Shrek One or Two. No, yeah, it's not. Um, but I do think that just in recent memory, mm-hmm. I can't. Other than Spider Verse, yeah. and maybe the Lego films, I mm-hmm. don't know what other what else there is that kids can grow up with. Like in in terms of those, types I don't know. Of films. I mean, is it fair to say that you, you're predisposed to liking animation more than me, in a way? Certainly, yeah, yeah. Um, so that might be an element of it. I mean, and I, this is the type of film where even if you were in it just for the animation, you're going to be pleased with yeah. it. Yeah, and um, I mean, my opinion can be condensed to it's good for what it is, but that makes it sound worse than it is. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm in a weird kind of zone with this film where... Yeah, you're either underpraising it or overpraising yeah, it. Yeah, one, one of the reasons that I have so few notes is because there's nothing to really complain about. Yeah. But there's similarly nothing I can gush over. Mm. You know what I mean? Okay. It's like, it's good. It's solid. It's completely solid. Yeah. And I wouldn't discourage anyone from watching it. It's just like not... It's at that certain level for me. Mm. But it is good. Okay. Yeah. I think it's quite good. Okay. All right. I rather enjoyed it. Okay. I'd recommend it to anyone. Solid thumbs up from Puss in Boots. Okay. I do not feel guilty for putting it on my best of the year list. I give it a thumbs up. It's not as solid as yours. Okay. Yes. A wobbly thumbs up. It's a wobbly th- No, no, it's, like, it's not even that. It is a thumbs up. Yeah. It's just not... But not a, a firm thumbs up. It's not encased in ice. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's not a rigid thumbs it's up. It's not a rigid thumbs up, no. Uh, right, okay. Tar. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay. Um, right, should I promise this one? Well, I know you have things to say about this one, so yeah, do you want to talk about it? <laughs> it invites a little bit more conversation than Puss in Boots for last week. No, no, I know. It's just the... <laughs> The fact that, like, the last one, you were in a position where it was like, I, I don't really have anything to say. Yeah, And yeah, now yeah. we're going into time. It's like, right. Well, we'll see. A discussion see. is about to be had. I know this. We'll see how much I have to say. Uh, so, Todd Field, the writer-director, he's only made three films. Spaced apart. Hmm. Uh, this is a good reason to go back and watch In the Bedroom, uh, which is fantastic. From okay. 2001, I think. Well, that is spaced out. Oh, yeah. Mark Strong pops up. Yeah. That was a surprise. Yeah. I just want to get like the details out, little details out of the way first. Okay. I feel like it's been a while since I've seen him, just in general. Okay. Yeah. Well, Shazam, I think, was the last thing I saw. Shazam, yeah. Or was he in the sequel? No. Okay. Right. Tar is basically about a world class orchestra conductor. Yeah. Who's in Berlin, I think, for much of the film. Yes. Yeah. She's uh, working with the. Berlin Philharmonic. Yes. And she's in a relationship with. Is she the violinist? Yeah. Yeah. They have a kid together. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a while since I've seen this as well. Okay. And then it's sort of, you sort of cultivate the impression that she, she gravitates to women in her orchestras, has relationships with them. Mm. And then when they go sour, kind of halts or stops the, the careers of those women. Yeah. This isn't one of those films where, um, it's not conventionally presented. No. I would say. No. It's not abstract, but it's also not one of those types of films where you have the scene where it's like, oh, this is the story, these are the circumstances. Yeah. Everything is sort of left up for you to figure it's out. It's cloaked in ambiguity, the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. And it's filmed in a very kind of objective, cold, even way. Well, I can't remember 
what film it was. I think it was She Said. Yeah. Where I was far more critical of the cinematography than you were. Because that was a film yeah. where the camera is locked down to a T. Yes. It's completely stationary. Characters will just kind of like mm-hmm. be in the shot. Yeah. And I really didn't like that because it just felt like they weren't using mm-hmm. that as a tool at all. And I kind of wish that I'd seen this before I did that review. Because this is absolutely the film that I would have brought up as an example of a camera that doesn't move. Yeah. And yet they do so much with it. It's because of the composition of what happens within the frame, right? Yeah. As well, opposed to like, oh, just film it. Yeah, no, because yeah. like in lieu of character movement, uh, sorry, in lieu, in lieu of camera movement, yeah. you have character movement. Yeah. It, you, there's like, uh, there's a couple of shots, but I think there's one where she is giving a music lesson mm-hmm. to a violinist that she's taken a fancy to. Mm-hmm. And that scene plays out for like, I don't know, five minutes. Yeah. With just a camera in the corner of the room watching them. Yes. And they're doing all the moving. Yeah. But it, it works. Even though the camera's just sitting there, it's engaging. It's, I won't say dynamic, but it's like, it's striking, I suppose. It's it's striking, yeah. And it's interesting, isn't it? That like, when you describe something as theatrical, which you, you kind of could say about this in that... You're just watching the play unfold. Yeah. It feels more cinematic than something like The Whale, where there's a lot more movement. Yeah. And that's interesting. Um, yeah, and then kind of over the course of the film, some kind of details come out. Her career is kind of tanked, kind of part of the Me Too sort of thing. Mm. Yeah, it's not... Plot is not really the thing to talk about. Yeah, yeah. Again, it's yeah. one of the films where it feels kind of unfair to be like, oh, so what's the plot? Yeah. And that can go one of two ways, obviously. Yes. But I feel um, like in this instance, it's... It's a good thing, I think. Yeah. Kate Blanchett is astounding. Oh, yeah, she's great. So magnetic. You yeah. never want to look away from her no. for a second. This, I think, is an instance where the wrong person won the Oscar, right? 100%. Yeah. Like, to me, we, we've been compiling, well, I have, greatest performances. I'm getting round to it, <laughs> all right? Greatest performances of all time and stuff. And she's on there for me already. Okay. Like, I think this is her best performance. Okay. That woman can do anything. Mm-hmm. Absolutely anything. As far as that character's field is concerned, I believe anything she told me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Michelle Yeoh was the front runner on the momentum of that film and, you know, diversity and all that. Mm. But Blanchett will be... Well, I I wrote this before. I said, will be robbed if she doesn't win. Right. She was robbed. Yeah. It's a towering performance. Mm. Uh, It's going to be in the list, like the compilations of best ever performances, you know? Yeah. You know what it is, George? What is it? It's a film about people in rooms talking. (laughs) (laughs) That's why you like Of course it is. Some people might consider it excessively verbose. I've heard that criticism leveled at it. Okay. Which I understand. Yeah. But I love the dialogue so much, I just don't care. Okay. You know, like I think a good example would be the first scene where she's giving, you know, having a talk. Yeah. Like the kind of lecture sort of thing. And she just goes on and on and on and on, but it's just so well written. Mm. More, please. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll lap that up. Uh, yeah, there remains an ambiguity around the accusations made against her. Mm. Who's texting? There's this weird kind of device where you see someone texting details about what's going on. Yeah, you never know who it is, mm. why they're doing it. Uh, is it all true? You know. Yeah, the film, while incredibly formally executed, weirdly has a dreamlike quality about it. I think. In what respect? In the in the ambiguity, in the in the fact it's filmed in quite an unconventional way. Mm. There are times where it feels like it could be a dream. Okay, and I think that bespeaks the uncertainty over what's real and what isn't. Okay, it's quiet, it's mm. slow, 
I'll concede for some in an artsy-fartsy, Oscar-y way, but it never condescends to you, ever. Okay. Uh, and I appreciated that. She's guilt if, if what she's accused of is true, which mm. you have no real reason to doubt. Yeah. She's guilty of moral evil, obviously. Not crimes per se. She hasn't done anything illegal. Mm. But the out-of-context Juilliard video. So, yeah, there's no only scene in the film where she's kind of dressing down a student. Well, not well, it's giving a counter-opinion, I suppose, my mm. other thing. A uh, counter-opinion where she eventually becomes frustrated. Yeah. Because it doesn't feel like he's listening to yeah, her. Yeah, yeah. It's basically, she play, she's talking about Bach, and he's one of these non-binary people that, uh, oh, I don't listen, you know, that's the patriarchy, I don't go in for all that. Yeah, I'm just not a fan of, like, white patriarchal music. Yeah, you know, and she's like, you fucking idiot. Um, yeah, not immediately. She, no, not immediately. Yeah, yeah, no. I was condensing. Okay. Um, no, she, she launches a very compelling defense. And he's just kind of like, eh. Yeah, well, he's still a white guy, you know? Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and then someone films that mm. and they edit it together out of context that makes it look worse than it was. Yeah. And that's an interesting complication. I like that even if, yeah, she's bad, she, she's guilty. You see that and you go, you can, st- you can still frame a guilty person. Yeah. You know? And obviously I resonate with her appeal to judge an artist on their work. Like yes. that stuff was just catnip to me. Mm. Uh, the f- oh, that whole scene. Right. Oh, it's just, yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic. Right, here's, here's, here's the nub of it. <laughs> here's the protein, as uh, Logan Roy would ask. Okay. Uh, the film has become a bit of a political football. Mm. Uh, the right celebrating its apparent condemnation of cancel culture. Mm. The left saying it's doing the opposite. Mm. Somehow. Now, you're very... <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what wonder... side <laughs> Sam is on. You're very much in tar, Lydia Tar. Uh, or actually Linda Tarr, but that's the whole thing. Mm. You're very much in Tarr's point of view for the whole film. Yeah. Which, of course, uh, engenders an understanding with the character, even if she uses people and she is pretentious, which she very much is. Oh, yeah. And has completely constructed her identity artificially. Her diatribe about neglecting great composers because they were cisgender, all that. There's an ongoing argument over whether that's the filmmaker's perspective. Mm. It shouldn't really matter. It's hers. Yeah. That's the important thing. But if we are going to have that debate, I don't think a case could be mounted that eloquently and forcefully without conviction. Okay. And that student has painted nails. <laughs> um, so there, is that what you're saying? I just, I mean, like, I, said to you, I think it's actually funny. It's like an inside joke. Like the student who disagrees with her is not only non-binary, but has painted nails and is... Mixed race or black? Yeah, or, I think mixed race. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, get all the things in there. And the ending, the final shot, I think is another kind of joke. Uh, there's a lot one can think about it, right? Mm. Everything's a performance. Everyone's playing a role. She's still doing what she loves. Using This is the end now. Using something that she almost certainly sneers at to get to the top again. Well, I feel like at this point you have to say what the final Okay, so, is, the, right? so her career is ruined. Yeah. She attacks someone on stage and then um, she ends up composing video game music. I don't know if she even composes. I think she literally just conducts oh, okay, a right. performance. In like the Philippines or Vietnam. Yeah. yeah, yeah. These live shows. What's the game? Monster Hunter. Monster Hunter, where fans go and watch 
playthroughs, I guess, with the score being performed live. I think it's it's a concert. It's literally just a concert that people have gone in costume to. Oh, so not even footage from the game or anything? Well, they'll probably have it for, like, flavour. Right, okay. But they do do video game concerts. It's a thing, yeah. And yeah. they all go dressed up as the characters. Yeah. And then the oh. final shot, huh? Oh, I was going to say, and obviously they've chosen Monster Hunter, so... It's the, outlandish. The, com- the costumes yeah. are very ornate, yeah. Yeah. And then the final shot is her conducting, and the camera tracking along the audience, all of whom are in these ridiculous costumes. But all of whom are clearly engaged. All in ra- in rapture, yeah. And the room is packed. Yeah. Yes. So even then, it's like, right, so has so, she fallen from grace, or is she working so her way there's back a lot up? to think about it, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, but again, I think it's very much saying now that everything's a performance. They're now literally in costume. Yeah. But yeah, using something she sneers at to get to the top again, is that what she's doing? Mm. Am I meant to think, oh, she's at the bottom now? Mm. Am I meant to think, oh, it doesn't matter, you can't keep her down? Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a lot to think about. Uh, she's still doing what she loves, yeah. regardless, uh, you know. But it might be overanalyzing or leaning too heavily on one's ideology to think anything other than that the monster hunts represent the death of culture. <laughs> <laughs> um now, that's my bias. I was going to say, you, you, you're saying that to someone who's rather a fan of video game music. Yeah, but going dressed up as... Come on now. Yeah, no, that, you wouldn't that, do that, would that you? is not something that I would do. No. And obviously they've chosen something hyper-specific. Yeah. Um, in this, you know, for, to, for that final shot. Well, also Monster Hunter, you know, that kind of resonates with is she a monster? Is cancel culture about hunting monsters? Yeah, I wonder how deliberate that... that it's got to be. Yeah. If you're being specific was. with a game rather than, oh, it's just a video game. It's got to be, isn't it? Yeah, because the game itself doesn't really. I mean, that's the, the game is literally you. You 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 have a character. Yeah, no, just the title, and you go out yeah. hunting monsters. Yeah, and yeah, you kill them, and that's it. You know. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But that's my bias. But uh, you say just the title. I don't think the title is ever said in film, isn't it? No. So you, you would oh, have okay. to you would have to find that it's monster. Oh, interesting. Hunter. Okay. So maybe it's not even that relevant. It's like an added detail after you've watch the film yeah the important thing is they're all in costumes yeah. I think that's the important thing and it's the video game I do think the film has conservative undertones whether that's conscious whether Todd Field has that inclination himself there's always that thing of you listen to the art not the artist as Lydia Tarr would argue yeah a piece of art can escape the artist and arrive at accidental conclusions that the filmmaker didn't intend yeah or doesn't even believe mm. maybe I'm just a philistine but I think we sometimes risk labouring to extract an interpretation when it's really simple. Okay. Maybe it isn't. And parts of it certainly aren't. But I thought what it wanted to say was pretty plain, all told. That being? The cancel culture is wrong and that it's, it's a modern day witch hunt. Mm. And we shouldn't write off artists because of their circumstances or because of some heinous shit that they did. Art is art. Mm. A separation can be made. Fat things can be twisted and manipulated mm. and she might still be guilty but it doesn't detract from those other points yeah we were talking with another friend and he said yeah like people bending over backwards to say oh this entire book was ironic like would you pour your heart and soul into something mm. for it to be like sarcastic yeah no so I think I in my opinion Look, it's open to interpretation, right? Yeah. So believe whatever well, you want Oh, the film invites it. interpretation yeah, yeah, at every turn, really. My, my take, though, is that critics liked the film because of the performance, yeah. the themes, the direction, the writing, but couldn't agree that cancel culture is like a bad thing. Okay. Couldn't agree with its ethos, so they've had to invent themselves into the opposing argument. Right. 
like I Mark Hilmo did a review and he was talking about oh the right wing is celebrating it for condemning like did you even what film are you even watching and that's exactly what I think about him right so I don't know maybe everyone feels that that mm. it confirms their own biases or whatever yeah but like what film are you watching <laughs> like that her speech about you preserve what are you talking about you know <laughs> Yeah, so like the Banshees of Inner Sharon, it's a film where you talk about it, talk about what it meant more than anything else, I think. Yeah. It's not quite a masterpiece, well, but it's gonna, really something. Yeah, I was going to say, the film has sort of taken on more life for me now that I've seen it yeah. and I've had these conversations yeah, with yeah. you. That's not to say that I didn't enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I, I certainly feel like I enjoyed it less than you did. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah, I, w- I wouldn't say that it's a bad film. Obviously, the performance is great. Mm-hmm. It's very competently made. It's very clearly like... I think a film that's this restrained, not stylistically, but like, again, just in terms of like how little the camera moves. Yeah. If you put an amateur, if you put an amateur filmmaker or a bad filmmaker in that position, it was like, right, you got to make a film with like little to no camera movement. Mm-hmm. It would suck. So Absolutely. I think, so I think for him to be able to pull that off, again, it's just a testament to the quality of, of, of his filmmaking and his yeah. understanding of, of the craft. Um, it does genuinely, it didn't make me feel like the film is in love with this character and that was unjust. Right. It's like, oh, look at this great character that I've made. And you're like, oh, okay. You yeah. Know, you, you, I do genuinely believe that she's a master of her craft. Yeah. And I do genuinely believe that um, whatever she's done, mm-hmm. however true it is, she does. She deserves more than to just be cast out. Excommunicated. Yeah. 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 I get... Like, I, I suppose it's like you're, you have... A Puss in Boots reaction a little bit. In the... Yeah, i got nothing bad to say, really, but mm. I don't have much to say. The funny that the films yeah, that yeah, we've yeah. had that reaction to. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's different, because, like, with Puss in Boots, it's fantastically made, but it's, like, I think that if, you, if you're if you not a fan of it... Yeah. It's just a case of this film is competent to a T. Mm-hmm. Like, everything is sort of working... Yeah. ...as well as it can be mm-hmm. without being exceptional. Yes. Whereas with this, I recognise that there are elements of this film that are exceptional. Yeah, that's fair. I, I suppose the reason... I mean, there are f- films with bigger spaces. There's more to say, I, like, with this. Yeah. There's a lot of space. Yeah. You know, there's a lot... There's a vacuum mm. to fill in a good way. Yeah. Whereas Puss and Boots, yeah, I can't, like... I, there's nothing to infer about Puss and Boots, is there? No, it's very it, clear about... It's all... What yeah, it's, it is what it is. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, okay. I think that's it, really. I mean, I highly recommend it. <laughs> but, like, not for the casual film going crowd no yeah it's long as well yeah it's long it's not for everyone I don't know yeah like I've enjoyed it more in retrospect yeah yeah I definitely need to go back to it okay like with my opinions yeah and and kind of try and see if it disproves them I I really want to see what the other side is seeing because I just can't okay I really can't and again it's not like it's not a conservative liberal thing even necessarily I just it's a film with a point of view and I don't see how, whether you agree with it or not, yeah. how you'd think anything else. That's where I'm struggling with. I do wonder how... Because obviously Kate Blanchett is female. She is. And the main character is a female, a female mm-hmm. woman who mm-hmm. is lesbian, mm-hmm. even. So she falls within the LGBT camp. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like it's the type of character that would ever identify as such. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly not a character that would expect that to influence how people treat them. Mm-hmm. But I think maybe that's a hurdle... I don't know how much of a hurdle that is for people when you say, like, oh, this is a film that's pro... Sorry, the film that's anti-cancel culture. Yeah. Whether they go, well, it's about a lesbian. 
Yes. Lesbians don't hold opinions that get you cancelled or whatever, you know. They can do things. Like, well, they, that's the they th- can't, but like, yeah. yeah, like... No, I see what you're saying. And, but that, that's, and I, again, that's a complication. Well, that's it? the thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I wonder how deliberate that is. If, if let's assume for a moment, for, the, for this to work, the, the premise that we will go with is that he did indeed realise that he was making a film about cancel culture and the problems it presents. Yeah. If you have a male lead character, you can't make the film. No, not really. Because well, there's no one, like, people, you know, people who hold the opinion will sort of watch it, but, like, on the other side, no one will give it any attention. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, it's just white men trying to indoctrinate and, proper, you know, with propaganda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we put a woman in that role, and suddenly, yeah, the conversation not only becomes more complicated, it becomes more interesting. More interesting, yeah. Because, um, you, yeah, generally you don't hear... So you have some instances, like J.K. Rowling, where it's like, mm-hmm. okay, this is a feminist oh ter- be- turfs are an exception okay turfs yeah, right. yeah. turfs are an exception yeah. but you still have uh, exceptions to the rule mm-hmm. and yeah like she would be an exception to the rule I suppose she is not a white man being cancelled for well it's it's face criticism for that reason yeah it, people saying oh a woman do, like ex- exploiting a pet wouldn't happen yeah and the fact it's not a man has drawn criticism okay like why would you do this about a woman well I'm like, just for wondering- God's sake, like ninety-nine percent of and it's true, obviously, ninety-nine percent of predators are men. Yeah. So, yeah, but that's why this is interesting. Yeah. Because it's not. It's not saying oh women are like this. Yeah. It's something else. Yeah. And that's what makes it interesting. And I wonder if it's it was done so that this conversation could be had. Yeah. So it's like, well, okay, here's my compromise. It's not Harvey Weinstein, it's this lesbian character. Yeah. Now, will you let at least put a foot in the door and come and see what I have to say about all this? Right. Well, it's it's also interesting to consider what was the entry point. If he wanted to make a film about Me Too, mm. like, oh, I'm going to do about someone, then the fact he made it a woman is very interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot to think about. And it doesn't feel like it's... He's gone completely in the opposite direction, so it's a woman preying on men. No, exactly. It's not like, oh, I'm doing a total inversion of that. Yeah, yeah, No, yeah. he's kind of adapted it so that it kind of well, makes she's sense. Well, she's kind of a, a masculine lesbian, isn't yeah. she? Yeah. And so, obviously, she would have a... Yes. Taste? That sounds horrible. <laughs> like, you know, her, you know it, it, women is what she sort of goes for. Yeah, yeah. So it's still kind of... There is still a, a bit predatory. of... An, yeah, predatory. Yeah, a predatory analogue to... Or a bit of an analogue to what's considered to be, like, the, the typical... The, the men in positions of power going after... Yes. ...young, vulnerable women. But also, frankly, just from an artistic perspective, if you're a true artist, mm. do you need to do another film about a man exploiting a woman? Do I, I get it. Yeah. I get the men in positions of power do that. Yeah. Well, as you say, it's less interesting. Yeah, that's what I mean. Whether like, you agree with it or not. Yeah, from an artistic perspective. It's just like, less Let's do something different. Yeah, yeah. Do something original. I don't, I don't need to... I know, yeah. I get it, mm. you know? And yeah, it does feel like making a film about a man, a potentially predatory man... But there's ambiguity around it. Would draw a lot more fire. Yeah. Well, it would feel like. How dare you? Yeah. It would feel like it's making yeah. excuses yeah, yeah, yeah. for men, whereas yeah. this doesn't feel like it's making excuses. Yeah, yeah. Not even for its main character. Not even for her specifically. No. Yeah. The film doesn't love her. It's it's fascinated by her. Yeah. Uh, watch it. Just watch it. See what you think. Okay. Okay. Valley. This is the TV show. This is the TV. This show. is the non-film review <laughs> in the film review episode. Yeah. Okay. I guess we'll mainly talk about season three, but we're going to talk about the whole show. Yeah, which is 
18 episodes long, all told. Yes. BBC drama. Yes. Uh, don't be fooled. No, don't. <laughs> <laughs> Happy Valley. I don't know whether the character, the main character, spends more time bleeding or more time crying. I haven't watched season three crying. Oh, she cries right. a lot. Okay. She does bleed a lot. She bleeds well. a lot as well, but yeah, she cries in most scenes. <laughs> <laughs> you would, wouldn't you? You would, yeah. You had that life. Yeah. You would. Go on then, premise us. Okay, Happy Valley is a TV show about a valley that's not happy. Stars Sarah Lancashire. Yeah. As uh, Catherine Kaywood. Yeah. Yeah, a police officer that works for the... I forget the specific town, but it's like Yorkshire area, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, she yeah. works as like a, a sergeant in the police department. And each season sort of takes on... It, it's the same little kind of structure, I suppose. Mm-hmm. So you've got... Her whole thing is that she, uh, one of her daughter, well, her daughter, I was yeah. one of her children, her daughter yes, yes. Uh, committed suicide uh, quite a while ago because she was um, she was impregnated by this guy. The story from Catherine is that she was raped mm-hmm. and then the child was born and the daughter soon committed suicide. Yeah. The guy went to prison for an unrelated crime. Also, there's like, for whatever reason, they're just not able to get him for that crime. Well, she's dead. Yeah, well, she's yeah. dead for one thing, yeah. yeah. But yeah, they can't convict him for it. He ends yeah. up going to prison for something else. So Catherine has ended up raising her grandson. Mm-hmm. And in the first season, the father gets out of prison and he kind of learns of the child's existence and that kind of starts the the rivalry, the kind of like the main villain hero dynamic between those two characters where he's just trying to be a father to his son. Yes. And she is trying to keep this fucking monster away yeah. from him. Yeah, the story of like the whole show. Yeah, that's kind of how it starts. That's the threads. That yeah, is, yeah. The, yeah, that's the thing that doesn't change. Like it evolves as it goes yes. on, but that's the main story that carries through the show. Yeah, and then season to season, there's also, as you've described, like a beta male character. Yeah, that gets involved or sort of like uh, gets the ball rolling on sort of these like criminal acts that kind of spiral out of control. Yeah. that the police are sort of after. And towards the end of the season, all of the events kind of collide into one big, like, yes. horrible clusterfuck. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, it's quite a show, isn't it? It's very good. Yeah. It's very, very good. It's generally quite a bleak tone. You know, I don't know. It's not It's not depressing, but it's dark. That's the thing. There's, like, there's moments of levity. There's quite a lot of levity. And there are, there's a lot to enjoy about it. And she, well, she's a very likable character. Oh, absolutely. She's very likable. But, you know, it, it it deals in very heavy themes. It's very violent. Yeah. Like, abuse toward women. Well, it's um, it's sort of a BBC One primetime mm. drama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't think the BBC, especially BBC One, they're not known for their gritty... At the, no. mo- at the moment, at least, they're not known for their gritty dramas. Yeah, yeah. And even though it's not excessive... No. Or, what's the word? Um, indulgent in its depiction of the violence yeah. and, and whatnot... It's more kind of, I don't know, you just feel it more than you would well, expect to with a show it's, like this. It's incredibly naturalistic. Yeah. It's a very, very down-to-earth, down-and-dirty show. Yeah. And so it feels real. And so when oh, it, it really does. So when it's violent, there's no distance from it. Yeah. Like, like there's, um, the character will sort of like take a beating in the line of duty. Yeah. And she'll have bruises for the rest of the season. Yeah, yeah. Even like Breaking Bad, which is a naturalistic show. Yeah. There's there's a, a, a remove from the violence in a way that it isn't in this. Like yeah. when men are beating women up, you feel it, you know, and it's oh, like, God, it's yeah. horrible and repulsive and all that. And so it's so strange that that kind of show has united everybody. It's everyone. Yeah, yeah. 
In Britain, at least. I don't know yeah, what, what, yeah. what appeal it has overseas. But yeah, in the UK, it is the show that everybody watches. Yeah, and loves. Yeah. Like, we're talking Doctor Who levels of, like... Doctor Who in its heyday now, when it mm-hmm. came back. It's like, everybody is watching this show. Everybody loves it. Everybody's talking about it. From all yeah. walks of life. No matter what your taste yeah. in television... Hardcore cineasts and TV addicts like us. Yeah. To people that don't, To my mum, who's like, just watch soaps and whatever's on ITV Hub... To Chris, who doesn't watch anything <laughs> at all. Yeah. But will come in to watch Happy Valley. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's united everybody. And I think it's a large part of it is because she is so likable. Yeah. I think that's a big part of it. Mm. And the performance is so good. Yeah. The writing is just... Oh, it's 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 near perfect writing, I think, just from a schematic perspective. Yeah, and just perfect dialogue. Yeah, it, this this is one of those rare instances where colloquial di- colloquial mm. dialogue feels so natural. Yeah, doesn't feel forced because a lot of the characters in it they're not from Yorkshire. No, you wouldn't you wouldn't know that. No, they're putting on accents, yeah. fucking brilliant accents, yeah. and they're obviously throwing in those kind of um, yeah colloquialisms mm-hmm. that you get from like the local area. And it, it just feels... It just works. It doesn't feel like someone's trying too hard. It doesn't feel like... You don't see the script. You don't see... You don't no. see it written down. No, you, you feel don't. the dialogue. You don't, yeah. Yeah, near-perfect characterization, Regionally spot on. Mm. As far as I can tell. I don't know, but it feels accurate. Yeah. Yeah, Sarah Lancashire. <laughs> it's just... Let's just take a moment, yeah. shall we? Just in the pantheon of, like, TV greats. Mm. That performance, I think. Yeah. Understated. Natural. Like pure heroism, yeah. But she's just like a woman at the same, like you know, she talks like you know. She's just, do you yeah. know what I mean? There's something about like the various speeches that she sort of delivers in the show. Yeah, there's just something about her delivery. That's... The way that it trundles on. Yeah, yeah. She never takes a breath. It doesn't feel like she blinks. She is just rattling off yeah. this dialogue. And I know that, that that's often like. Um, that can be used in a negative context. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, they're just rattling off their lines. No, she's like channeling it. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Like she's channeling something. It's 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 so absorbing just to watch her go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the like her biggest outburst really is in in season two. Uh, there's a serial killer that's targeting prostitutes, and a prostitute's attacked, and then two female police officers kind of dismiss her mm. because she's a prostitute. Yeah. And then uh, Catherine like kind of gives him a dressing down, and then she's saying one of them says, "Oh, you know, it was dark, we couldn't see her." And she goes, "I'm only going to touch that." And then rattles on and goes, "No, I will touch it. You got a torch, haven't you?" Yeah. And it's like it's, she's always speaking to herself, like, "I'm not going to touch that. No, I will touch that." Yeah. She's like always communicating with herself. It's mm. really interesting. Uh, yeah, she's just you know mm. one of the best ever TV performances. Yeah. And they got a villain to match that. And the supporting cast, yeah, James Norton, you know, as Tommy Lee Royce. Memorable name of a villain, isn't yeah, it? Tommy yeah. Lee Royce. He has both charm and menace. I've told you before many times, he's my Bond. Yeah. He's my pick for Bond. Uh, he's slowly humanised over the course of the show, more so in the last series. Yeah. But one, I didn't anyway, never loses sight of how utterly hideous he is <laughs> and how despicable that character is. I just is. think like any moment where you start to feel like... Yeah, you've got, remi- you got to remind yourself. Yeah. You do. And it's a testament that you do sometimes drift away from that. Yeah. Go, you, oh, you know, he's crying about something. Yeah, you have your moment yeah, like yeah. when he's looking at the, the baby pictures yeah, of Brian yeah. and, and you're sort of watching him and you go, no, I have to remember yeah. that he ran over that police officer <laughs> yeah. several times. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's one of the most grotesque characters yeah. in all of fiction. Yeah, yeah, it's just fucking horrible. Yeah, 
And yeah, you can forget that as the show unfolds. You need to keep your eye on that ball. Uh, I like the slight... It kind of diminishes as the show goes on, but the ambiguity surrounding the circumstances of Tommy and Becky, her daughter's relationship. Yeah, talk about complexity, kind of rolling yeah. over from the from the Tar review. Yeah, you've got that component to it, where he seems... Whenever, like... Catherine brings up the rape to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's nice as well, is that these characters barely interact. They've probably got like four scenes yeah, together yeah. over the whole show. Yeah. But they feel like they have so much impact on each other's lives. Mm-hmm. But yeah, whenever she kind of brings up the like, oh, you raped my daughter, he seems genuinely confused. Like, what? I'm yeah. What? No, I didn't. Yeah, like, yeah, we, yeah. we were in love. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. And not in this sort of like sick denial. He genuinely seems confused. Yeah, yeah. And the same with Ryan as well. Like, because he didn't have a father figure growing up. Mm-hmm. And it's something that even people in Catherine's life pick up on later in the show. Mm-hmm. It does feel like he, he genuinely wants to be a father to I, him. I think, having recently rewatched Series 3, he he genuinely loves Ryan. Yeah. And he probably genuinely loved Becky in a way that a psychopath can. Yeah. And I think what starts as sheer ambiguity where he's like, no, I didn't. I, I loved her, you know? Yeah, yeah. And his son says to her, like... She loved him. She told me. Yeah. I think as the show goes on, and he is humanized, but you start to understand that he can't comprehend, he can't think the way other people think. Mm. And so, like she says to him in the final scene they share together, you threatened to chop her tits off. Yeah. Because he says the same thing to Anne Gallagher. Yeah. And he's like, I didn't mean that. Mm. It's like he doesn't get that's a fucking despicable thing to say to somebody. It's like, oh, it was just like it was an argument. Yeah. You know, and she's like, they didn't know that you didn't mean it. Yeah. They don't know that's how you think. Mm. And so I think he probably did rape her Mm. and it traumatized her and belittled her and all the rest of it. Yeah. He just doesn't think it was, he did anything that bad. Yeah. Because that's just how he, that's life to him. Yeah. That's how he interacts with people. She says to him, like at the end, you're a, basically you're a child in a grown man's body. That's what you are. And you kind of see that. At the end, when she's like accusing of all these things, he's like, "No, I didn't." He sounds like a child, yeah, and a lot doing that argument again. Just a, a testament to the quality of the writing. Like she's throwing all of this shit at him that he clearly can't handle. Yeah, and he does kind of crumble. Like when she's sort of, you know, you, you're, um, she throws all these accusations at him. He's like, "Well, you're just not that bright." Right. Saying yeah. that, it's actually funny. Yeah, it, like it's how, funny how childlike he's become without undercutting the tension. Yeah, at all. yeah. And when all he can do is just shout "fuck you" back at her, "fuck yeah. you, you deaf bitch." Yeah, it's like, yeah, he is just like, there's something missing. Yeah, you know. And again, in terms of ambiguity, the fact that Ryan is a twat. Yeah, he's, 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 a, little, a, he's a little shit. Yeah, he's a little shit, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. I guess that's like it's not as subtle as you initially made it out to be for me. I thought it was just like, oh, it's kind of a nice detail that he's a bit of a, a bit of a cunt. <laughs> yeah. But I guess that's kind of the central thing of that part of the show, isn't it? Is that like, ooh, is this Tommy Lee Royce's kid? Yeah. And also, did Catherine make the right decision by not giving him up and putting him into care? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, has she basically lost her life Mm -hmm. and all of the people in her life because of him? Was it worth it even? For what will become another psychopath. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, there there are a lot of like, um, oh, I don't know. I don't know how they did it. It just feels like every component of the show... They knew what to pull out of that, yeah, to make it interesting and yeah. to sort of like get the most out of that component. Yeah, definitely. And um, yeah, like I said, he's, he's a toddler brain, you know, Tom Lee Rice, and it's it's interesting. Like we say, he's been humanized, but it's almost like he's stripped down in the 
from, from the uh, what's the word you would use? Well, let's just use the word presence. Okay. The presence he has in the first season, where he's quite he doesn't speak that much. Mm. He's just this big hulking menace. Yeah. Uh, that when he does talk, it's to be obscene. Yeah. And then by the end of it, he's this sobbing. He's in a hoodie. Mm. It's his natural hair rather than this like bleached blonde. Yeah. Like monstrous kind of thing. But it's not because the character got better. It's that you just saw more of the reality of him. Yeah. You know? Like, yeah, in that first season, he is utterly just... He, ra- he, get- he kidnaps someone and rapes them. Yeah. Uh, he runs over that police officer several times and murders two guys he's hanging out with. Yeah. Just completely odious. Yeah. And by the end, he does... He, he could be the hero. Not in what he does, but no. the way he looks. Just in, like, a nice hoodie. Well, in a he's way... He's got all the tattoos, you know. In a way, he does do the right thing at the end. Like, he, he, does, he, yeah. he basically gives Catherine the information she needs to bust a major crime ring in the town. Yeah. Something that's kind of been hanging over the whole show. Like, we finally see it in season three... But as far back as season one, mm-hmm. there's been this implication that, oh, there's some greater force mm-hmm. puppeteering all these things in, in the town. Well, yes. Well, and he is the, the key to uh, dismantling all of that. Well, James Norton has said, like, I don't hate him. I feel sorry for him. Yeah. And Ryan basically says that as well. That's his, uh, that's his conclusion, isn't it? Yeah. I feel sorry that he felt he had to be that nasty to people. Yeah. And by the end, I think I'm in a similar place where, yeah, I'm never losing sight of what you did. Yeah. But I also do, like... Um, not empathize. I sympathize with. He can't help it. Yeah, you know it, it, that is his his toddler brain. And there's something beautiful about his arc because it is equally again obscene, and that character learning hmm. where he says to her at the end, he says, "I've looked at all these photos. I've seen that you've given my son a good life." So, and it's like it's so funny because it's so over- overplayed. It's like he looks up to the heavens. He goes, "I forgive you." <laughs> like he's saintly yeah and she's like you forgive me yeah but it's like that is growth for that character yeah yeah that is the end point but also oh she's just what rejects. the fuck are you talking yeah, about yeah she completely rejects yeah, it yeah yeah which is funny because I think there might even have been a moment earlier in that season where when, if, yeah if he asks for my forgiveness yeah yeah but he doesn't and he forgives no he forgives <laughs> her yeah. Yeah. yeah so it's like oh you almost it's, 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 it almost it's, happens it's equally sweet in a way yeah and warped. Yeah. That he thinks he's the one that has to forgive her. Yeah. It's just, it's really interesting, that. Mm. And that's only one yeah. half of the show as that's well. That's one half of the show, yeah. You've got the, the all the crime stuff that's happening as well, which is legitimately, like, well-plotted and well-paced and well-thought-out. It does sort of become the show's not undoing. No. The show never becomes bad. Never, no. But the first season is the best and the third is the weakest. So there is a, a like a... Oh, interesting. I would say so. I don't know how you think. The third, the ending... Well, maybe. Maybe. I maybe agree. Yeah. It's because the third has all that finality to it. But the third, the ending of it retrospectively makes you think of all these issues. Mm. But it's actually flawless until the sixth episode. Yeah. It's pretty perfect. And then it has so many things it has to wrap up. Well, yeah. We'll get, we'll get to all that stuff, yeah. but then you go, oh, such a shame. And there are some things I didn't love about it. I mean, in my head, it's probably a, a false memory, but two is like, because it's so much bigger. Mm. But you're right, it's still, it's still tight and it's still doing everything it needs to do. Well, that was the worry going into season two is season one is such a tight piece of television. Yeah. 
And I think the idea was that originally it was going to be a miniseries. Yeah, so it could it, end after that. Yeah. yeah, so so there is kind of like a... It's got one of those endings where it's like, yeah, that could be the end of yes. the show. So when it goes into a second season and there seems to be all of these other elements that are coming into play... Like, oh no. Yeah, it's like, oh, yeah. this is going to become bloated. Mm-hmm. And it never becomes bloated. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that final episode, you do realise that, oh... Because that's the thing, it never deviates from its formula. Yeah. It maintains that thing of right half of the show is Catherine and Royce yeah and the other half is the crimes the crime things yes and then they kind of throw like the organized crime element in on top yeah and they always keep everything that they yeah from season to season the characters that they acquire they always keep them yes which means that by the end even though the show is sticking to the structure it's established it's got too much to resolve at the end yeah and things do go everything does get resolved no, everything does get resolved. And it, there are no loose threads, but that's kind of the problem some of the That's time. kind of yeah. the problem. It feels like in a show like this, there would be loose threads. Yes. And the fact that there isn't, it feels like it's too clean. It's like, because at the beginning of season three, there's there's like a time jump between mm-hmm. season two and season three, because it was, it was a while before that season yeah. was made. Like Ryan is all grown up now, mm-hmm. for example. And so they incorporate that into the story. And it kind of, like, one of the earlier scenes in the first episode of season three, the family is having a dinner. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the opportunity we have to kind of re-meet all of yes. these characters all down the road. Yes. And everyone's, like, having a nice time. Yeah. And it's genuinely good. And we both looked at each other and we were like, oh. <laughs> how long is this going to last? Oh, what's going to yeah. go wrong now? <laughs> that's kind of how I feel with the finale. Right. Even though everything gets resolved and she's genuinely happy and she's made peace with everything and everything has been resolved. Mm-hmm. I was looking at it going, yeah, but what's going to go wrong now? Yeah, I know what you mean. Because the show's kind of trained you for that. It's trained you, but also that's my problem with the ending, is that everything is wrapped up. Yeah. And so, you know, so you're meant to think, ah, you know, like when Jesse blows up the thing in El Camino, and I said, oh, it's like the world saying, right, no more violence and shit. Yeah. That was the big explosion, it's over. And that's how you meant to think, how you meant to feel at the end of Happy Valley. Like, it's sunny. Yeah. Literally, Tommy Lee Royce, I mean, we spoiled enough already. Yeah. She finds out he's died casually. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, literally everything, every box ticked. Yeah. She can walk away, all evil over. Mm. And yeah, that's not quite the show that we were watching no. up until that point. There should have been at least one dangling thread. Darius Knezevich, I think we would argue, should have been like, okay, we can't get him for this. But we're going to get him. Not Yeah, not even that, though. I would say the pharmacists. Oh, uh, I don't know. I feel Should like... we wait a little bit? Because I think this is getting into the weeds weeds now. Okay, all right. So let's just quickly... Siobhan Finneran, I appreciate more as time goes on. Oh, the sister. The sister. Claire. Yeah. Always the potty. Um, <laughs> every small role, though, is perfectly cast. Yeah. Not only do the actors inhabit the roles, they look like they should. Yes. You know? Uh, yeah, series one, tight, basically perfect. Series two branches out. It's a bit more incidental than series one. It doesn't feel as vital as series one, okay. I would say. The denouement ultimately has some things to laugh about with Wadsworth's incompetence. Okay. But not necessarily in a bad way. I think you're meant to kind of find him a bit ludicrous. Mm. Um, but considering that's the end of the season, then maybe it should have had a bit more yeah, okay. weight to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So then, right, series three. Yeah. It's close to perfect. Mm. A few little changes could have pushed it from a 4.5 out of 5 to that 5. Yeah. I think the worst thing, broadly speaking, was Amit Shah as Faisal. Okay. I didn't like him. He's the weakest yeah. beta male of the three. Absolutely. 
And when I say that, like, oh, he's the one that should have got away with it, he's the least deserving, I think. Yeah. I say that, though. He's probably the most careful. D- define desert- morally deserving or in terms of how good he is at covering up the tracks? Morally deserving. He's the... Uh, yeah, morally speaking, he might be the least deserving. I don't know, actually. Because it's probably the least, like... I was going to uh... say, it's, it's probably the least worst crime, but he does kill a woman. <sighs> I don't know. I-, I suppose Kevin is the least morally evil. Yeah. Just, I mean, oh, yeah, they become more evil with yeah. each season. He's the one that I like the least, and I guess that's what's informing my decision the most. He's one I like, I suppose, because I don't re- like, I don't relate to anything with him really. Yeah. Like the others, you do relate as horrible, horrible as it is. You do kind of relate to Kevin's frustration with Nev. Oh yeah, like I don't necessarily agree with the course of action that he took. No, of course, but I, yeah. I completely get why he did it. I much more relate and to the I, second series guy. Yeah, definitely. Where it's like you get how that would have happened. Yeah. Obviously, he then does horrific shit to make it look like someone else has killed her. Yes. But him being framed, like I get it. Yeah. Like I hundred percent get that. Yeah. The third one, there's no absolutely no need for him to do what he does. No. I mean, in a, in a perfect world, he might not even be in that season because you've got yeah. the uh, relationship with. Ryan's PE teacher. Yeah, Hepworth. Hepworth. Yeah. That feels like that could have been a good substitute. Yeah. Kind of a nice capstone of like, oh, we've had two beta males and now we've got this dangerous alpha male that we yeah. have to deal with. Yes. And it's not, a, he's not a criminal no. per well, se. Well, well, he is, but yeah. Eventually he is. No, I mean, he like hits his wife. Oh, right. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. But like, yeah, it's a completely different context mm-hmm. that this character exists in now. Yeah. And it's personal because... This is happening to Ryan. Yeah. So it's got more of a connection to the to the main Catherine stuff. Yeah. Yeah, in that respect, the pharmacist feels like, oh, we have to have that. That's what people watch Happy Valley for. Mm. It's that half of the show and this half of the show. Yeah. Yes. So the way they do resolve that mm. is Hepworth gets arrested on suspicion of murdering his wife. Yes. Faisal has actually murdered her. Yeah. It looks like he's going to go down for it because he hit her and they find blood and all that kind yeah. of thing. And he's clearly... An unpleasant man. Yeah. Um, and, like, her family don't like him and everything. It looks like Faisal's getting away with it. But then this, like, random lead that Alison, a friend of Catherine, tells her that uh, her probation officer gets drugs from this pharmacy. Yeah. And then she does a check and finds out that he lived, like, up the road from the Hapwood. Right. I like that. I like that it's, again, one of those little details. Yeah. Uh, that gets him. Love that. Like, it's a character from a completely different season. Yes. That belong to a completely different story that ultimately does him in. Yeah. That's, again, that's kind of a testament to how schematic and uh, efficient the writing of the show is. Yeah. But it does mean that the that major plot thread gets kind of resolved off screen. Off screen, yeah. And I I'm in Hepworth, because he can't go to jail for murdering the wife. Yeah. They tag on this thing that um, a boy was sending him indecent images. Yeah. And they do sort of allude to that early in the season. Not nearly enough. Well, they have to do a, like, a, a flashback, don't they? Where, yeah. like, oh, remember this scene where he was And it looking- doesn't play out like that either. No. That's quite frustrating. Yeah. No, but I mean, like, the wife says to Faisal, oh, he does this thing, he, like, you know, he gets these young boys and he convinces them that they need... Yeah. But it's never implied... It's implied that it's a power thing more than it is, like... A so he's a pedophile. Thing, yeah. I mean, he's having an affair with another teacher. Yeah. An, an adult female teacher. Yeah, yeah. So it did feel like, oh, but we don't like Hapworth. Can he still go to jail? Yeah. And I, I, I mean, I don't know how it works. Like, I don't know if he had confessed to hitting his wife. Mm. He could have been done for that. But that would have been nice. 
if like he's brought in on this completely separate thing yeah and he still goes down because he confesses to mm. having hit his wife you know? yeah 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 it's all very neat it is very neat but again I, d- I don't know like just if you if, oh I meant neat as a pejorative okay it's, it's too neat oh right yes it's like yeah I don't mean it's clever oh, I well, mean okay. like oh yeah we hoovered it all the way it's, yeah it's okay fine. well that yeah, feeds yeah. into my point I guess because um, like yeah when they, when they have Hepworth in and they're like oh I guess we've got enough to charge him mm-hmm. like they don't like him but even they're uncertain that he's like done it yeah and they're like ah, it does. it's not I don't feel great about it but I guess we charge him with murder now yeah and I thought that was going to be it because you even have the moment where you see the pharmacist walk off into the distance because he's one other thing that motivates him, again, this is how mm-hmm. brilliant, like, everything's informing everything else. Mm-hmm. Like, characters who've never met are doing things that create a set of circumstances that, yeah. cause another char- that causes that character to, like, do this action. Yes. Which creates this scenario that this character has to react to. Mm-hmm. This, like, series of chain reactions mm-hmm. from people that have never interacted before. It's yeah. really, really good. But, yeah. There are these like thugs that work for the Knezoviches, which is sort of the mafia of the town, mm-hmm. that are kind of putting the screws to him for money that he doesn't have. Mm-hmm. And also the wife, um, the PE teacher's yeah. wife, is asking for money, and that kind of backs him into a corner, which is why he kills her out yeah. of sort of like whatever. Oh no, he kills her pure, in pure moment of passion. Oh he, right, he yeah. doesn't even. That, that's the annoying thing. It's not even okay. He has no good reason. She pushes. She's. She wants him to kill her husband. Yeah. And then he has this whole plan figured out, and then she gets spooked by it, and she's like, "Oh, we don't have to." Like, yeah. I because she lies to get him to that point. Yeah, she's like, "I lied to you." He's like, "You lied." She's like, "Yeah." He's like, "Right," and he's angry. Yeah, and he's like walking away, and then he says, "Okay, as long as you don't fucking pester me about getting you a flat." And she's like, "Oh yeah, actually, yeah, maybe we, we should kill him." Mm. And he just loses his temper. Yeah, and just beats <laughs> beats to yeah. death. Yeah, but um, yeah, the point is that he's no longer under any threat. The, like the Knezovich thing is yeah. getting sort of wrapped up so he's like oh I'm free I'm free I go yeah. away with everything yeah. you see him walk off looking all confident like and I thought that's what maybe it was going to be where it was like the police don't always get it right yeah I'm but in this scenario he got away scot-free again and I'm the torn. husband's going to jail what would have been narratively interesting that that he gets away with it like all of a sudden the ducks are all in a row like oh okay yeah because it's again that that's a nice um, where it's like, oh, the final beta male is an alpha male is like a nice way yeah, to yeah, yeah. cap it off. A nice way to cap off the beta male thing. Mm-hmm. They're becoming more violent, mm-hmm. but also the last one got away with it. Because sometimes but they do. The other half is I really hated him. Yeah, and that... So I, that I know, I know, I know And what that was what made but it on, interesting. But again, they were crowd-pleasing. Like, at the end, it was sheer crowd-pleasing. They like, knew everyone was watching. They knew everyone was watching. And I think uh, she even said... I don't know whether it was just about Tommy and Catherine, but uh, Catherine, uh, Sarah Lancashire had said to the writer, Sally Wainwright, can you change the ending and make it a bit happier, basically. Right, okay. So I don't know what the original ending was. Hmm. Yeah, all these great things are set up. And then I think, she, I mean, the last episode's 10 minutes longer than usual. And I think she just realised, I don't have time to do it. Yeah. Because I want to give time to Tommy and Catherine. Yeah. But the irony of that is that it could those things could have been wrapped up really quickly, yeah, and in a satisfying way. Yeah, what would have been narratively interesting is Faisal gets away with it, and Hepworth, who is a monster but hasn't actually done the thing that he's going yeah, to jail for, yeah, but he still goes down for it, and you're you don't care because he's so horrible, yeah, that you're fine with it. That would have been interesting. That marriage, like the Hepworth marriage, is really interesting. Just that last minute contrivance of the indecent images was like 
a big no-no for me. Yeah. Yeah, the, the finale almost feels like it was written in real time. Mm. And so she got to, like, page 70 and was like, shit. Yeah. So there's, like, one conversation that wraps up four or five different things. Yeah. And it's implied, yeah, he's going to be arrested off screen. He's going to jail off screen. Tommy Lee Royce dies off screen. Yeah. And I think you could have done a wire and just had a montage mm. in two minutes. Yeah. You could have done all those things. Him, Faisal being arrested, if, it, if you're going to do that. It still you know. would have um, had that air of, oh, they're wrapping everything up really quickly. Yeah, but at least you would have seen it. Yeah. You know, like, Royce dying off screen, I think, is the most egregious example of that. I know he was in a coma and he just died. Yeah. Um, but you could have just seen the moment he flatlines just because, or you rework it. So the, the very final scene is Catherine's at her daughter's grave. It's sunny. She's in colorful clothes. And then she gets a text and it just says, TLR dead. Hospital rang, TLR dead. And then she's like, oh, good. Puts the phone in her pocket, walks off, theme tune plays. Either we see him die. Mm. What, what it should have been if the intention of that last scene was, oh, it's not a big deal to her anymore, what it comes as a text. Yeah, because that's the thing. Seeing Tommy Lee Royce die, yeah. you want that. As an audience member, yeah, you yeah, want yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's not necessarily something the show needed. No, no, I know that. And I'm not saying it'd be like violent. I'm talking literally like you didn't even have to see him. Yeah. He's, he's in a coma. He's just in a bed and they flatlines, right? Yeah. But what would have been interesting then is if the point you're making is that Catherine's over it. Mm. You see the last thing in the montage is him dying. You see her at the grave. Her phone bleeps. Yeah. And she doesn't even look at it. Right. You know what she's getting messaged about. Yeah. But it doesn't matter. She's over it. Mm. That would have worked. But just like, that's purely for the audience. It's not for her. Yeah. Is that how they're going to tell her Tommy Lee Rice is dead? Yeah. Over a text? Yeah. Like, because Mike, her boss, sends that. I'd want to tell her. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just a bit like, yeah, that's done as well. He, we're not going to leave it that he's just in a coma. Because mm. I think you're led to believe that when uh, the Andy, the yeah. detective, am I right in hearing he's in a coma? They're like, oh, really? Yeah. We're just going to leave it. But no, don't worry. He is He is dead. He is, yeah. Um, so that was a bit a bit rubbish. We didn't... Yeah, why not just kill him? Because... Yeah, die in that scene. Yeah, he's like, after that big confrontation, he sets himself on fire. Is it to preserve, completely preserve the fact that she didn't kill him? Well, she didn't. He set no, himself on fire. No, I know, I know that. But like, oh, I don't know. That she saved him, I suppose. That she still saved him. After all that. She well, says, don't do it. He does it. And then she douses him. Does it matter if he dies? Anyway. Like five minutes after she does that? No, or I know. I in know. a hospital later on? Yeah, it is a weird detail. Yeah. It is a weird detail. We didn't need to see Darius arrested. He didn't... I think if someone wasn't going to get arrested, it should have been him. Yeah. The granddaddy of crime in the valley. Yeah. Is like, no. You know, she knows. Yeah. Now they have to go prove it. Yeah. Because why would we take Tommy Lee Royce's word yeah. of a scumbag fugitive? Who's already gone on record to say, no, that's not what happened. Yeah. So why would we believe you now? Yeah. You Under know? the circumstances that he said it as well. It's like, well, yeah. Catherine, he was in your house. He covered himself in petrol. Yeah. Like, why would he change his story why now? Would change to- and also, that's nowhere near enough evidence. Because it's not, it's not like... Yeah, because it's not as if, like, right, Tommy, you've made this statement. Now yeah. you can go on record or you can go to court. Yeah. And, oh, you set yourself on fire and you're dead. Okay. And it's not like, oh, he said it and now we're going to devote resources to investigating that claim. He says to her at the end, we got him as well. In one day, we got Tommy Lee Royce and Darius Knezovich. Yeah. 
So they arrested him on the evidence of a guy <laughs> who he broke out of jail saying that he did... It's just weird. Yeah. It's, it was, it's too easy. Yeah. Um, we should have seen... So this is that final montage idea. We should have seen Poppy in her coat still. Oh, yeah, the daughter. Yeah. Just as isolated. That would have been a good, good final image, actually, hmm. of the whole show. Yeah. Um, yeah, just like even though everything is resolved... There's, there is a lasting effect. There are scars. Yeah. yeah. Even if all the evil in the world is gone... Yes. The people that it damaged are still left behind. And I think, having rewatched it again recently, what would have been nice, I think maybe partly because the actor just doesn't have the chops for it, having been a child actor, it would have been nice to see Ryan react to Tommy dying. Mm. Like, again, this could have been the final thing, is we find out Tommy's dead, everyone's kind of celebrating. Yeah. Then they realise, oh shit, I don't know how Ryan would... Think yeah. about that. And he's like, no, it's fine. Walks off and you see him stewing. You don't know how he feels about yeah. it. And that would have been a good final thing as well. It's still, he's not going to be like happy that he's dead. Do you know what? I hadn't even considered that. I hadn't even yeah. considered that like Ryan's reaction. There's so much you could do with it. Yeah. You could, for example, like your idea about she looks at the phone or she doesn't look at the phone because she doesn't give a shit whether he's dead or not. Yeah. She like finds out. So she's like, right, I'm going to go tell Ryan. And she tells Ryan and Ryan doesn't give a shit. And that's the final thing to Catherine, where it's like, oh, he's finally dead and gone. Yes. Ryan doesn't care about him. Yeah. It's done. But I also think it's a stretch to say that he wouldn't care about him. I mean, But that's also interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Him, like, that ambiguity about how he feels, that's really interesting. Yeah. And, because, again, the show at the end, she says, oh, that boy's a prince. Like, he is nothing like you. Mm. Even though he is still a little shit. I think that final thing of, we know he gave him up. So it's not like, you know... We knew where his allegiances were. But it's not as simple as, oh, he, th- he gave him up and therefore now would be indifferent about his death. It's still his dad. He said he felt sorry for him. He mm. feels bad for him. There's that connection. He yeah, still feel wrong. And then you can preserve that ambiguity. Like, is he like him though? Yeah. That's not going to... He's 16. We don't know yeah, yet, yeah. you know? And that would have been a nice like final, again, haunting, but like a good final mm. thing to end Well, on. that would have helped with that sense of oh, everything's re- been wrapped up and this right. is now truly the happy valley. Yeah. It's like, no. Yeah. No, this shit hangs about, you know? Exactly, yeah. And there are other things like when uh, Hepworth bumps into the back of Faisal's car mm. and he's like so calm and collected and you think, oh, this is part of a plan that he's enacting to frame the husband or something. But it's not. It's just, oh, he's now kind of quite cocky. Yeah. But I think that's the, f- that's the failure of performance. Mm. I think he was just, he's not a great actor. Yeah. And it come, when he has to be cocky, it comes across as weird and aloof and like yeah. he's got something on his mind. And when he's angry with her and his eyes are bugging, yeah. it doesn't sell it. And yeah, he's, yeah. Well, I think having Steve Pemberton as the first beta yeah. set a, a high standard, didn't it? It did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he does go on a proper journey in terms of like that character can't even fucking speak properly at the beginning. And then he's got his final confrontation with, with Nev. Yeah. With Nev. And it's like, ooh. That character went on a journey. He doesn't stutter once. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If they were going to do the Ryan Hepworth thing, that relationship should have been developed. I think we talked about he finds an alternative father figure at school. Yeah. Um, who ends up having ulterior motives. Yeah. You know, it's like no dad is a good dad. Yeah. <laughs> like, and again, that's another thing where their conversation where he's like, oh, do you want to talk? That implied that Hepworth was up to something beyond just basic grooming. Yeah. It's like, I hate this kid. I'm going to fucking ruin this kid. Yeah. But it just ended up being, no, he just want, he probably wanted nudes mm. off him eventually. <laughs> it's just a bit strange. Yeah. 
And yeah, and if he had this alternative father figure that was actually showing him kindness, when he finds out that he is just a groomer, mm. that would push him closer to Tommy Lee Rice again. Exactly, yeah. You know, you there's, there's so much you can do with that. Yeah. Um, but despite all this... Yeah. No, uh, yeah. It's still a 4.5 out of 5. Yeah, that's the, that's the thing. Because up until that final episode... Yeah. It's really good. Yeah. And the, episode, the final episode is good as well. It's mm. just, it's that last stretch. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that final confrontation between Catherine and, and Tommy Lee Royce. Yeah, that's very good. Yeah, it doesn't disappoint. No, it's, it's yeah, it's what you're waiting for. Yeah. I'm glad that Ryan ended up being right-headed, mm. that there wasn't as much in a conflict as there could have been. I don't think he's a prince. Like no, no. And I don't think he was never considering going to Marbella. I oh, don't no. believe yeah. that. It's not all as pure and clear-cut as Catherine's speech to Tommy would suggest. But at the same time, she would dress it up. She would. She would. Uh, But he's not like his father. Daniel and Anne, so her son and Anne. (laughs) It's too too complicated to explain. Yeah, Anne's a whole Um, thing. They had good final scenes in the penultimate episode. But he had a genuinely good send-off. Like, that could be his final scene. I felt like she was done a bit of a disservice in her final scene. Yeah, given how much she ends up mattering. A good scene in terms of it's her spotlight yeah. and she gets to act mm. and shine. But like her last scene is her being pissed up and like telling Ryan he's not wanted. And I feel like that's a bit of a disservice to that character. And I think the, the, it's only strange because that feels like the only instance where the show uh, didn't feel like it had to... Because as you say, she's not in the finale. Yeah. There's no, seemingly no compulsion to give her a happy send-off. No. And that feels like the only instance where the show did that. Yeah, left it hanging. Yeah. We we said literally, because there's a party happening in that final bit where Catherine's learning all these things. Yeah. Because uh, she's retiring, but she she's not interested in the party. Yeah. She literally could have locked eyes with Anne and they had like a little luck. Yeah. He's dead. It's over. Yeah. She eats cake. Yeah. Done. That's all. That's it. Yeah. It's a luck. And also, I get why it had to be the detective telling her that. But how much better if it had been Mike having that final conversation with her? Yeah, absolutely. The guy that we've built up this relationship with. Yeah. Little tiny details that like seem so basic. Yeah. You know? Um, we say that, though. Yeah. We couldn't have written this show in a million years. No. Absolutely. No. Script doctors. Yeah. You know? Not, not that she needs it. But, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, just for that ending. Yeah. So, yeah. All those niggles aside. Mm. It's pretty flawless. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the themes, I love the violence towards women, masculinity in crisis. <laughs> I love that violence towards women. Towards women, yeah. Uh, beta males in over their heads. The, you know, the William H. Macy and Fargo thing. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, the ending should have been more like The Wire. I know it's a lot more individually character-driven than The Wire, but there is an ongoing element of social commentary. Mm. You know, like the drugs in that part of... I think at the start of season two, she says, and I could have arrested them, thus massaging uh, Ms. May and Mr. Cameron's crime figures. There's a bit of, like, political... Yeah. She alludes to Trump in season three. Mm. You know, the pilot establishes the the drug-infused squalor of that area. And by the end, we've met the kingpins responsible for it. Yeah. And there should have been the implication that it isn't all over. Catherine's story is resolved. Yeah. Not the counties. Yes, Absolutely. But fucking watch it. Yeah. Watch Happy Valley. It's really, really good. Yeah, I mean, if you live in Britain, you have already watched it. Exactly, yeah. Because everybody has. But yeah. beyond that, you'll need subtitles, I think. If you're no, not, you won't. If you're not a native. Oh, if you're not British, yeah. 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 Um, oh, that's ridiculous, that is. <laughs> but it's worth it. It's it's absolutely worth it. Oh, yeah, to see it. Yeah. Down. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, you know, the show is five out of five. Yeah. Should we do our final film review? Okay. 
<laughs> what 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 master? We've we, we've been going up in terms of quality. Tar, happy Valley. Yeah, no, literally, it's been like the yeah. whale, then the fable ones, which is a bit better. Then Puss in Boots, which is better. Yeah. Then Tar, yeah. then Happy Valley. So, what masterpiece have you saved for last, Sam? Ah, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I it's um oh. <laughs> What is this, Sam? It's, it's like Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania. What? <laughs> no, we got to the end, and now we're going back to the beginning. It's like a circle or something. What? I don't know. <laughs> it's like it was like six out, six like seven, eight, nine, ten, and now we're back to zero. <laughs> not, not to foreshadow our review. <laughs> uh, right, I can't do the plot because I don't know what it is. <laughs> <sighs> There it is, that patented <laughs> Marvel silence. And it's become a patented, we don't know what the plot was. Yeah, I feel like that happens at the beginning of every Marvel review now. We say what the film is, and then the two of us just go silent, <laughs> because we realise, oh, we both know what we think. <laughs> Where the fuck do we start? Ant-Man and the Wasp Mania is the 109th film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. 10th film? Yeah, 110th. 110th, yeah, 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 yeah. sorry, in the, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I say that now as a joke. There will eventually be a 110th film in oh, the yeah. Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, there will, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's the third uh, third Ant-Man film. It's the second Ant-Man and the Wasp film. It's first film in Phase 5. It's shit. <laughs> I mean, how long do we talk about it, Sam? Like, how, how much time do we give it? Well, let's just get, let's get out of the way, is it? So... Another entry. I don't. I genuinely don't know what the plot is. They go into the quantum realm. Ant Man, the Wasp, Hank Pym, and the wife go into the quantum realm. And the daughter. And, and his daughter. Yeah. And Kang is there. So that's the plot. Yeah. Uh, another another entry in Marvel's ongoing mission to tell us they're not taking themselves too seriously. <laughs> God, the quantum realm's a drudge, isn't it? <laughs> it's just. It's so tacky. Yeah. It looks like a CG Babylon Five. That's what it looks like. Yeah. It's, oh, it's, 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 yeah. It's like an uncanny valley with, yeah. with money, with budget. And the, the more expensive, the better looking. But then you keep going and it looks like shit. It's a weird thing. I, I watched Avatar, The Way of Water recently. Oh, you did? We're not reviewing it. Okay. Um, I have the same feeling. Right. Well, yeah, visual effects. To me, it looks like shit. It really does. I, not terrible, but like, I just don't want to look at it. Well, I think the problem is that I know that, like, from seeing behind-the-scenes stuff, I know that the visual effects-heavy sequences in Marvel films are often not helmed by the film's director. No, it's, um, yeah. It's, it's kind of like the equivalent of a second-unit director. Yeah, so you've got, for example, Spider-Man Far From Home, the Mysterio one. Yeah, yeah. I've seen a couple of reviews, levy criticisms of those films for being very boringly shot. Mm-hmm. Shot reverse shot, medium close up. That's the kind of filmmaking you get out of those films. Well, it's because it's cookie cutter. So yeah, and then product, and then you yeah. get to the CGI sequences and the camera work, like that. Um, not dream sequence, but that kind of like sequence where Mysterio is like fucking with him, and you see like the zombie yeah, Iron yeah, Man. Yeah, yeah, like that is the filmmaking in that quote unquote is far more engaging. Okay, but it's like made by completely different people. Yes, and, and like in a film like this, which is completely CGI, basically yeah. animated. Yeah. Even yeah. though it's got live-action people. Certainly more qualifying uh, for the Oscar than Marcel the Shell with shoes on. Yeah, what the fuck happened yeah, there? Yeah. <laughs> Genuinely, what the fuck happened I don't there? know. I don't know. Um, I don't know. I don't know whether it's just like they're not hiring filmmakers that 
understand how to film with visual effects. Yeah. Because there's just such a there's such a clear separation between where the the real stuff ends and the and the fake shit begins. Yeah. It looks like they're standing on a soundstage. It does. I don't think it matters anymore. Like I remember used to, oh John Favreau's directing Iron Man. Kenneth Branagh's directing Thor. Yeah. Does it matter now? Blah blah's helming blah blah. Does it matter? Well, I guess Ryan Coogler doing Black Panther was the last significant. I was going to say one. I think nothing exemplifies that more than the fact that Sam Raimi did Multiverse of Madness. Oh yeah. Well there you go. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Literally doesn't matter. Um it's just a timeline and the visual effects team are the auteurs of yeah. the Marvel universe. But it looks like shit in this. There's also that thing of who does the internet like? Well, it likes Jeff Goldblum. Bill Murray! <laughs> Keanu Reeves is next. Keanu Reeves is showing up in a Marvel film at some point. Well, I don't know, because he's got it. Well, then again, they're, they're stopping the John Wick thing for a while, right? I know we've got the Continental. There, coming there are up. spin-offs. Yeah, there are spin-offs. Yeah, but yeah. I think his time as yeah. John Wick is like t- he's taking a break from it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I suppose that frees up his time a little bit more. Because I was going to say, oh, he's tied up with his own shit. Yeah. But I guess he won't be. He won't be. It'll be just a cameo anyway, wouldn't it? Like it is with Bill Murray and Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, why was Bill Murray in this? Because uh, Bill Murray. It's Bill Murray. People. Oh, like Bill, Bill Murray. Murray. I didn't realise. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as has become the trend, I looked at it. <laughs> Never were true words said. <laughs> I looked at it. It's perverse, right? That this supposedly profoundly accessible mind-numbing garbage. Yeah that a two-year-old can get into, I find it easier to concentrate on reading. <laughs> right. Reading books is easier to me yeah. than watching a Marvel film. And I'm, like, fresh back to reading. Yeah. I haven't done it in a long time. I know it doesn't demand concentration the mm. way that a novel does. Yeah, yeah. But I can't even rise to the level of consumption. I didn't consume this film. Yeah. I looked at it yeah. until it wasn't there anymore. <laughs> And realised no thoughts have been had the entire time. <laughs> it's almost meditative, right? Almost. Yeah. But I didn't drift into contemplation. We'll have to, yeah, monks should use this to yeah, like yeah. clear their minds. But that's the thing, no, I didn't drift into contemplation because it's loud. So I could never really truly leave, but I was also never there. It's like a David Bowie <laughs> lyric. Okay. <laughs> that's what Ant-Man and the Wasp was like. Like a David Bowie lyric, but, you know, shit. <laughs> Um, the contrarian in me, mm. right, given the negative press that the film had, yeah. wanted to defend it. Mm. Wanted to find something to like about it. Yeah, this is interesting, isn't it? I'll let you make your point first, yeah, yeah. but yeah. So, but there's nothing. I got nothing. Yeah. You know? Yeah, so, yeah, make your point. I've only got one more thing to say. Oh, right. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, this seems to be the one that's broken the camel's back, right? Thor kind of... There are still people out there defending yeah. Thor. Yeah. I really haven't seen it with Quantumania. No one's happy with this, as far as I can tell. I don't know. I mean, very still, few people are happy. Yeah, very it. few. They're catching up. Do you think they're catching up? Do you think? I mean, they are. They are particularly bad. To be fair, this is the thing. We're we're in we're in a phase at the moment where the superhero genre needs something. Uh, it needs to reset. Yeah. It, yeah. W- yeah. There needs to be something. There needs to be some spark thrown back into this. Yeah. Because yeah, like. Whereas you could you know say... What? I was going to make a pun then and go, ah, the all spark. But then realize that's another MacGuffin. That's Transformers. That's from Transformers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. so that's how With all that's the, coming out of this, It's all yeah. the fucking same. Oh, yeah. we'll do that. Maybe, that, maybe it, that'll be the film that'll reinvigorate. Yeah. Was it Rise of the Beast Bots or something? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just think... 
the robot gorilla. The fucking robot gorilla being like, <laughs> Optimus, death is coming. <laughs> donkey, <What>? donkey wrong. <laughs> what is it? I'm sure that we'll bring this point up when we do the review, because yeah. as you say, it's going to happen. Why is a robot gorilla funnier than a robot dinosaur? A robot dinosaur is a fucking absurd prospect. Yeah. But a robot gorilla is infinitely funnier to me. I think... I don't know whether to actually answer because, like, not having an answer is funnier. Okay. Like, it just is. You know, like, let the mystery be leftover stuff. Yeah. I think because dinosaurs are, like, it's, they're like aliens. Mm. It's like that we have no relationship to them. They might as well be fictional. Yeah. They're probably people who think... Well, there are, aren't there? Yeah. Religious people. But, like, who think that they're the same as dragons. They're, they're just, you know... Yeah. They're so lost in time. That's probably the main thing. So, like, robot dinosaurs is just an absurdity on top of an absurdity. Okay. Whereas a gorilla... Yeah. You know. It's like, I, I've i seen a gorilla. I've seen a gorilla. It's not a robot. It's not a robot. It's not <laughs> yeah. metal. No. And it, it's like, it's a weird... Like, why would you do that? Yeah. Like, like why a robot? Yeah, what's the utility <laughs> yeah. of a robot gorilla? Yeah. Because, like, a robot... Like, a vehicle... Should we just say that as one sentence so it can be the title of the episode? Go on, then. What's the utility of a robot gorilla? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um... <laughs> Yeah, because like them turning into cars, you can make you can contrive that. Yeah, you could be like, oh, the practical reason is they can get around quicker on their home planet. And they can blend in. It's just a wonderful uh, coincidence for mm. them that we drive around in similar looking yeah. constructs, and they can use that to blend in on our planet. Yeah, robot gorilla, you'd notice that. The, yeah, robot gorilla has no habitat. It has no na- <laughs> has no natural habitat. no natural habitat, and like when he transforms back into the robot, it's like yeah, he's. Still looks the same. He's probably, he could probably still do the same things the robot gorilla could. Yeah, I don't get... If it's just a robot gorilla, that's one thing. The fact that that's its, it's alter. Yeah. You know, that I, that's baffling. Why would me. you not just always be a robot gorilla? Yeah. Or whatever the robot is. Yeah. What do you gain from being a robot gorilla? We, we, we're so... We're reviewing a film that's not even out yet. I know. Oh, that's, this okay. is how much I don't <laughs> yeah. want to talk about. <laughs> and have nothing to say about Ant-Man Quantumania. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you could say that, like, this is... People are, are finally catching up to the whole superhero fatigue. Thing. Yeah. We're finally feeling it. But yeah, look at what they have to deal with at the moment. Like, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Shazam 2. Yeah. I was half tempted to make this, like, a joint review. Because mm. I genuinely think half the points that you could make about Ant-Man Quantumania... Oh, really? You could make them about Shazam 2. Okay. It's completely fucking pointless. It's, like, rubbish. Yeah. Um, it's CG overload nonsense to no end because the film completely resets, narratively speaking. Mm. And whereas this is supposed to be, like Ant-Man Quantumania is supposed to be the big kickoff to the next major phase of its cinematic universe. Yeah, Shazam is kind of happening at the tail end of its cinematic universe. And in both instances, it doesn't feel like a worthy addition to either. Right. This right, is right. definitely not how you introduce the next Thanos no. And Shazam feels way too incidental to be basically the finale to its own universe. Okay. You know? Right. Yeah, they're incidental films. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah like, what the, the... No fucking point. Total waste of time. And well, like I said... The, the film... Quantumania literally ends with, like, the same scene it began with. Yeah. Almost to, like, nail in the fact that, like, you have wasted your fucking time. I do... F- <laughs> I do feel like, um... Because Ken Feige is still the one guy overseeing everything, right? How, how is that? I know. How's that happen? I know. Obviously, he must have, like, you know, assistants, executives, right? Yeah, but he's the guy. Maybe two guys. 
Um, yeah, maybe he can do like Conan O'Brien playing the horror games and they're playing Slender. Mm. And he's like, um, who made it? Because he's so bored. He's like, who yeah. made this game? He's like, oh, no, some guy. Yeah, he should have teamed up with one other guy. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's what Kevin Feige needs to do. Yeah. It's, um, they, they, he just, he's lost perspective. He can't see the forest for the trees sort of thing. I mean, when you- or wait, no, he can't see the trees for the forest more appropriately. Yeah. Which is, oh, it's this thing. Um, look, we need this. I want to get to Kang, you know, the Kang walls or whatever the fuck it's going to be. Yeah. Um, so it needs to be introduced in this film. We need to introduce this concept in this film. And that's all it is. And you, unfortunately, then you have to have a film around it. Yeah. You know, on, around those plots on the, the map. Yeah. And yeah, it doesn't matter anymore. So, yeah, do the film. Yeah. Whatever. Don't matter. Just get that detail in. Anything else you can do with the fuck you want. Yeah. And it's just, it is. It's sick. It makes me feel sick. <laughs> But you, I mean, it's reaching the point now where, yeah, they're introducing characters like Kang that are so powerful. I think mm. I made this point in the Godzilla Kong review, maybe, yeah. or a similar point, where Godzilla and Kong are both so powerful. Yeah. Godzilla has that, like, nuclear breath thing that he's mm-hmm. got going on. And by that point, Kong has acquired, like, the, the, the Earth Axe. Or yeah, it's yeah, called. yeah, yeah. Both, like, weapons, quote-unquote, could instantly kill the other, mm. and so they can't use either. It is this is see the, the, that's the thing with Kang is it's like well this character is so innately powerful yeah there's no one powerful enough to match him so you have to yeah like I Ant- have Ant Man beats him in a fucking fist fight I know Ant Man I yeah. have no snobbery whatsoever about superhero movies right Logan's a superhero movie yeah The Dark Knight is a superhero movie yeah but equally. I feel it's offensive that the Dark Knight is in the same genre as Ant Man and the Wasp because yeah. they're just not, are they? No. You look, go back to like, or even early, even Iron Man, yeah. the earliest MCU film. Never mind Marvel film, just MCU. And I know, like you've got, you know, you've got the thing with Transformers. Like, why do we need human characters? Which yeah. I completely accept. But the logic is, well, we need to relate to something. Yeah. I know, so it's a false logic. I was going to say, the counter-argument being yeah, no, it's make a false the robots lo- relatable. It's a false logic. Yeah. But equally, there's got to be something grounding it. And by this point in the quantum verse, what, what's, what am I supposed to care about? He's- it's so divorced. Paul Rudd. But you don't. Paul Rudd and his daughter, you care but, about that. Right, but you don't. No, but, ah, but you should. But you should. But you see what I mean? That, like, the, the, the circumstances of that universe are so heightened. Everyone's so powerful. It's so divorced from any reality. Like, Tony Stark's an arms dealer who builds a suit. Yeah. It's so divorced from anything resembling reality. It's just like a... It's riding a fairground ride on acid. Yeah. It's just... Nothing's real. Yeah. N- none of it's real. And it just doesn't matter, does it? When that's what it comes down to. It just doesn't matter. But I guess, like, at that point, you push it. Like, you recognize that you're not in the boundaries of reality anymore. And so you push for... Right. The fantastical. I guess, like... The, the, the example I should give here is the probability storm sequence, which you, I know you don't remember. No, I don't. Before I even say what, <laughs> before I even tell you what it is. In fact, while I, while I tell you what it is, you probably yeah. won't remember it. No, I don't. But it's, it's, I don't remember anything. I remember Bill Murray popping up. <laughs> and, and it being bookended with him walking along the street. Yeah. That's it. It's probably the big, more so than the finale, it's probably the set piece of the film. Right. It's basically when Kang says, oh, Ant-Man, I need you to perform a heist. Because I've just remembered Ant-Man is supposed to be a heist film. Yes. So go perform a heist right. in the quantum verse. Sure. Where you go and quantum into the, the quantum yeah, thing. Yeah, small, big. Yeah. 
That's another point. I'll make that point in a minute. Okay. Um, yeah, so he, he goes on the heist and to, like, he go. So he has to become small in the small universe, like, smaller than everything else, which is small. Right. And he has to go into the core of Kang's ship. Right. Which is exploding. Mm. And that explosion is creating a probability storm where basically every reality that could happen happens at once. Mm. Don't fall asleep. No, what? <laughs> don't, don't wake up, Sam. <laughs> okay, we're doing a podcast. Yeah, so it's like you, you reach a point where you, you can do action sequences like that, right? Something totally absurd and something that could only be depicted on film. With like hundreds and thousands of Ant-Mans yeah. all happening at once. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you meant to go, oh my god. Yeah, but even that doesn't mean anything to me. But isn't this such a fine line? Because like, oh, a probability storm could be the most fun, oh, this is balmy batshit yeah. thing. It's a cool sounding thing, a probability storm. It's time warpy and... Yeah. But then you watch it and it's just so... Uh, it's so dull. Yeah. It can be so dull equally. And that's what it is. Yeah, and it's kind of... I, get, I don't know whether this would fall into the camp of um, Soda, Suspension of Disbelief Apologist. Yeah. yeah. Where, like, one of the Ant-Mans in the Probability Storm is uh, Paul Rudd in a Baskin-Robbins oh, yeah. uniform. Just yeah. the one. Yeah, yeah. Because, like, oh, it's funny because he's in a Baskin-Robbins yeah. uniform because it's all of them. Yeah. No, you've just broken the... Yeah. You've broken the rule that you established for this action sequence. And it's supposed to be like, oh, but it's supposed to be a fun action sequence. No. Yes. You broke the. Yeah. What? What? Again, like you, you're you saying like, oh, this is Marvel continuing its mission to show that it doesn't give yeah. a shit. Give a little bit of a shit. <laughs> please. A little bit of a shit. Yeah, yeah. Because this thing doesn't work if you don't give a shit. Yeah. It takes a lot of effort to create something that feels effortless. It does. And you're not putting in the effort. Yeah. And yeah, but like when I said like that, Kang remembered uh, it's a heist, it's supposed to be a heist movie. I get the like the contrivance of this is they've been sucked into the quantum realm, which is not something that's accessible to everyone. Mm-hmm. So this is one of those rare MCU films where it's kind of justifiable that only Ant Man is here. Sure, but that is still an ongoing problem because at this point, especially post Endgame, mm-hmm. why would the superheroes not constantly be working with each other? Yeah, and it's going to get even worse. I mean, that contrivance of oh, fuck it, we need to get, like, a, a strong female superhero. All right, we'll do a Captain Marvel film. But why wasn't she in Infinity War? We'll yeah. think of something. Yeah. And again, it's not like... Oh, oh she, was, she was shopping. There were I loads of planets in the universe. Yeah, yeah. I think half of all life everywhere is the most pressing concern. <laughs> There's no, like, oh, you were resolving a trade dispute on Venus or whatever. Yeah. It's like, no, all of life is all of life. Yeah. You go to the hut, wherever that is, you know? And I get that, like... Yes, realistically, there would be instances where other heroes are not available. Yeah. But it's reaching the point now where, like, pretty much everything we see, people are having to make excuses as to why there's nobody else there. And the stakes are so high. In every instance, you'd yeah. you put that first. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I would posit that the one benefit, maybe the only benefit, if indeed it is a benefit, mm-hmm. to keeping your shared universe as separate franchises, yes. still having... The Captain America films. Yeah, 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 yeah. Still having the Atman films, still having the Guardians of the Galaxy films, as well as the Shared Avengers films. Mm-hmm. The one benefit is that the implied genre the, that comes the, with the it. The expectations that come with each franchise. Yes. Yeah, Captain America is going to be like... Yeah, I want to go yeah. see Captain America because it's going to be this like pseudo-political thriller. 70s conspiracy thriller. Conspiracy spy thriller. Yeah. I want to go see Ant-Man because it'll be a fun heist movie. Yeah. I want to go see Guardians of the Galaxy because it's going to be a goofy space opera. Did... 
Did Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania feel like a, a fun heist movie to you, Sam? Did not. What did it feel like to you, Sam? Um, it felt like a, uh, a factory of visual effects being sick on itself. So you're saying <laughs> that it felt like every other Marvel film that has come out recently? Yes, basically. Yes. They're all the same now. Yes. So yeah. why are we fucking... I'm not saying that, like, oh, I, I would like this better if all the superheroes were in it. If, like, Doctor Strange yeah, was also yeah, down yeah. there fighting Kang. Mm. But what's the point in even keeping them separate anymore? If you're not going to make the films feel like they're different. Feel distinct. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's losing that. That's what I'm saying. It's all blurring into one. Yeah. He cannot see the trees for the forest. Yeah. He's so high up, up on his perch. Yeah. He just has the panoply. He doesn't see the leaves, man. Um, <laughs> that's also a good title. Yeah. He doesn't see the leaves, man. Yeah, well, right. He doesn't see the power, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. All that. Yeah, the nature of the MCU plot machine, in which nothing has any consequence to it, is now replicated in the viewing experience, mm. right? And there's something approaching critical consensus on that front now. Yeah. So, our job may be done. <laughs> Watch this space. It isn't. Um, okay. <laughs> MC, I've got it written here. I see you, MCU, and you need the ICU ASAP. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll keep doing this because, you know, it, it must be entertaining to listen to us despair. Well, I would hope. I would hope. But yeah, no, it's, um, but I guess it's a waste of time. It is, and, and we're becoming less unique in that regard. I think mm. there are a lot of people now, people who were... Um, it's like Breaking Bad. I was there first. <laughs> if not defending these films, then yeah. people who are at least, like... And maybe they're yeah. not peak culture, you yes. know? Um, this is more of that, because they're, like, people are sick of it now. Yeah. And, Scott yeah. says he was right. Yeah. He was right. The fairground rights. The fairground rights. And, yeah, I don't know. I don't know whether... I don't know. I don't know, man. <laughs> I, I don't On know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't recommend that. I don't know, Nor do I. Mania. Nor do I. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Thank uh, you very much. Is that it? We going? That's it. We done? Yeah. I mean, there's, we've yeah. seen more stuff, but for I do, the next step. Yeah. Let's not yeah. do uh, like a five hour catch up no. episode. Let's try and just have things to talk about when we do yes. show up. We have things. So. We have things. So have yeah, things. look forward to yeah. those things. Hopefully, you've listened to the whole thing. So look forward to more of whatever this was. Okay. See you next time, then. Bye. Bye. Bye.